All right. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to The Way of the Truth Warrior. My name is David Whitehead, and today's show is going to be epic. I know it. I can feel it. I've been talking about this with my good friend Chance Garten for a bit. Uh, We've had him on this show before. We've also done some really epic deep dives into everything occult, esoteric, symbolic, etymologic, historic, uh, geopolitical, you can imagine, over on Unslaved. Go check us out on unslaved.com. And I'm really excited for this. Today, we are going to be doing a show where I've got obviously my points and my comments, but I want to learn from these two gentlemen how they see it. I'm continuing my research into this documentary series project that I've been working on for some time. You may have heard of it. It's called The Cult of the Medics. You can go over to cultofthemedics.com right now. You can watch all seven chapters for free. Seven of 12. There are many more chapters coming. I'm currently hard at work on chapter eight, which uh, it was supposed to be out in June, but I have a feeling we're going to have to wait a little bit because it's probably the hardest chapter I've ever put together. The amount of work is insane. The research is crazy, but the amount of information that you're going to get in this one is going to be mind blowing. And so this interview is going to be perfectly timed as I'm right in the thick of my research on all these different subjects and how they intersect, how they relate, you know, what's the underlying context for it all. And also what's the solution to all this stuff. Right. And the main solution is that we expose it and we talk about it. And I put my research out there and everybody listening right now, you contribute your thoughts. We all go and chase down these different facts and these different concepts and different periods of history and different subjects together. And then we try to expose the truth to the light so that the solution can present itself because we can't get anywhere unless we know exactly what we're dealing with, just how pervasive it is, how ancient it is, how it operates, and what the real agenda is that we're all watching happen in front of our eyes right now. So it's an incredible time to be alive. What's the date? It's Monday, June 27th. Wow. Monday, June 27th. We're almost at the end of June already. Can you believe it? Well, let me go ahead and bring in these two gentlemen real quick. What we're going to be talking about today, I've got Chance Garten from the Universe Podcast. You have to go check out his podcast. You can go get it, universepodcast.com. And uh, he's also bringing on Maverick Symbolism researcher, Gabriel Peters, who we had on Unslaved. And this guy is just a wealth of knowledge about symbolism and so much more. We're going to be getting into the medical cult sorcery. That starts right at the birth of a baby in the hospital. And this will be very relevant to what I'm talking about in Cult of the Medics and also what's going on right now with all this discussion about abortion and Roe v. Wade and all that kind of stuff. We're going to be looking at how all this this intersects or all this connects rather to the occult aspects of the legal system. Something I've covered before, but not nearly enough. We need to do way more on this. The Cult of the Bar, as I call it, could be a whole other series in itself. Uh, getting into the dark goddess symbolism, the Medusa or Med USA. Get a chance to break that down. The serpent symbolism. We've done stuff on that, but curious what these two gentlemen, gentlemen think. And uh, really, I'm looking to, oh, yeah, we're also going to be talking about human trafficking, uh, child exploitation, and so much more that needs to come to light. So let's get this rocking and rolling. I'm going to go ahead and bring in these two gentlemen. We got Chance Garten here, and we've got Gabriel in the house. Welcome, gentlemen. This is so awesome that you're here. I'm very excited to do this show. We've got as much time as we need. So, uh, Chance, over to you first, and maybe give a little background for Gabriel for those that have never heard of the man. 
Yeah, yeah. Gabriel's my uh, main partner in crime online these days. We do all kinds of work together. We're collaborating on a weekly basis, often multiple times a week. Um, so really, I'll go ahead and introduce like our, our work together and then do my best to introduce the topic at hand. As you laid out, there's so much on the table. It might be a long one. It's ambitious, but we're going for a big picture here. As much information as gets brought out in this conversation, honestly, neither of us is an expert in any, in any of these facets. We're like putting the pieces together and seeing how it all connects. And that's what's most important. Hopefully just leads people to do their own research into any of these areas that may not be something they've heard of before or that they haven't heard a lot about or they've been misguided about. So anyway, you can find my work at interversepodcast.com. I do a weekly show interview show that you were just on. And I have to correct you, David, I've actually never been on truth warrior yet. This is the first time it just it's, feels that way. Cause I've been on unslaved so many dang times. <laughs> I'm getting, I swear I had you on truth. Warrior. Oh, well, well welcome to truth warrior chance. Yeah. yeah, yeah. We've, so we've much threatened to do one well. for a long time. I feel time. like you've been on all my shows. So there we go. Yeah. I'm really excited to be on this one though. I've been a fan for such a long time and your work is ins- okay. extremely inspirational and you know, it's probably a good sign that your recent appearance on Interverse actually got kicked off of YouTube. So we must have been pretty over oh, the target. Did. My first video that's ever been fully removed from YouTube without just a warning. So <laughs> I <laughs> <they> really, <laughs> We're hate you. the right people. Well done. Yeah. But they didn't remove our previous times together. So I don't know. But Gabriel and I, we do all kinds of stuff. I have a weekly live show called Vibe Rant, which is more like it's fun. We dive into deep stuff, but we're also interacting with the community, bringing levity to the situation, but for sure, exploring all kinds of topics. It seems like the most popular recurring theme in Vibrant is astrotheology and astrology, because that's a never ending well of knowledge, a vault, if you will. <laughs> and uh, we love to unlock that. So Gabriel is basically my co-host for that show. I would say officially, because he's there almost every week, very few weeks has he not been able to be present. And I appreciate that very much. And we also have a a newer show that we started this year that we call Marvelous Demystifiers, where we explore the uh, mind control MK Ultra social engineering aspect of Disney Marvel's recent movies and TV shows. And that Incredible. what began as a monthly show project recently has turned into practically weekly just to keep up because <laughs> We'll be breaking down a 45-minute episode of a specific show. We've been doing Moon Knight recently. Holy cow. It takes us three hours just to wade through all the symbolism and connections that are in one episode of a show like that. It's crazy. It's, I mean, it starts with MK. The initials are MK. It's MK Ultra as can be <laughs> Moon Knight. So oh, and the symbolism uh, people seem to like cover. that a lot. Watch the show. I actually want to watch your show of it, how you guys cover it. But just Moon Knight. You know, the whole history getting into uh, the symbolism there, the Templars, the Middle Eastern symbols, the Islamic symbolism, the moon, the crescent moon. Man, it's all they're just telling you everything. These Marvel movies, I know it's a separate subject, but it really does relate. They've been telling a lot of stuff and putting out a lot of stuff. And this is why we we check out what these films are saying. It's not like those people that critique you know, that angle as being, Oh, you guys are just, you watch too many movies. It's like, well, no, we we're watching the symbolism and the storylines that are actually coming from ancient mythological stories from all over the world. Uh, and the um, employing of ancient occult symbolism in Disney films that are shown right in front of you and your children. And nobody even spots it. It's important. We analyze the information 
the variety of information that they're putting into these films, because this is part of how they create culture, how they create the narrative, how they uh, access the subliminal information. And this is really key. So I'm really glad you guys are doing that. Well, maybe one of these days I can jump on one of those Marvel shows with you because I've got yeah, you want to do one on Morbius with us, right? Vampire yeah, oh, shit. I'm in for Morbius. Let's do that one. Okay, we'll make sure to make time for that somewhere in our yeah. our schedule. <laughs> that sounds like a good time. Uh, but to wrap that up, that idea of the the Marvel shows, like you said, like it could seem as if it's almost a waste of time to be watching that type of stuff and then breaking it down. But in my opinion, it makes a more interesting exploration of symbolism and hopefully helps the audience with their symbolic literacy as our friend Imsar says all the time, symbolic literacy is psychic self-defense. And the other other thing to be aware of is like social engineering and the inversions of truth that they put out through these various aspects of media. You can reverse engineer social engineering. And when you do that, you actually land on truth because it can only be effective if it's psychologically backwards or inverse, right? So all that being said, I'll kick it over to Gabriel. You can introduce your own work. Uh, your your stuff is amazing, my bro. So tell everybody where they can find you and what you're up to. Right on. Well, thanks for having me, fellas. It is an honor. Uh, and uh, my channel is called Slick Dissident on YouTube. And I refer to it as a shared learning experience. Uh, it uh, goes uh, very deeply into uh, symbology, uh, language. Uh, with a focus around uh, astrotheology, uh, the tarot, and uh, both uh, history, culture, and uh, art. Uh, those are some of my points of focus. Uh, and I have quite a few projects on there. I think of it as like a, almost like a storyboard of uh, things that uh, I will... Uh, could potentially, I could take any one of my projects and just write a whole book, like really batten down and dig in and fill in the uh, the meat on the bones that I've laid there. So yeah, that's uh, that's my channel. And I did a project a while back on Medusa in the story of Perseus hunting down Medusa, and it was a really enlightening endeavor for me as I was able to track Perseus and Medusa around the Zodiac and how the signs and symbols of that myth are not only ancient psychological uh, aspects of our ancestry and culture and how we came to be where we are today, uh, but they're also uh, a lesson in reading the stars and the dynamics of the heavens and the program, uh, program meaning written before. And it is very important to know what was written before uh, if we're going to move forward in the system we've been given. So uh, Medusa was a great one. And that's something I'm hoping to maybe share some of the revelations of that today. And uh, and it's uh, becoming very prescient in this uh, modern times as uh, some the rubber is hitting the road as we speak. Uh, and so that's oh, what absolutely. Absolutely, man. And I love that. I love the type of research that you're doing. It's so important. We study these subjects uh, just to get a bead on at least the mindset behind these people at the top to realize that symbolism and all these ancient schools, these mystery school traditions aren't of themselves good or evil. 
They're just mm-hmm. systems of knowledge that help us understand where we came from, how our psyche was formed, how the ego was formed, how the civilization was formed. And it's a mixed bag of uh, both. It's a, a lot of these symbols are dualistic. Like even myself, when I look at the symbolism coming out of the medical system, which I've analyzed a lot, um, you know, these are symbols like even the serpent symbol. I mean, speaking of Medusa, you got serpents coming out of everywhere, right? So, I mean, serpent symbol can be looked at as a symbol of evil or tyranny um, or deception, you know, or a predator, an apex predator symbol. It could also be something to do with the sky, with the heavens. I think first and foremost, the serpent symbolism is uh, talking about some of this ancient cataclysm that ancient man experienced. Um, but then, then in the medical system, I was talking about this with Chance on that show, on his show, about how it was a symbol of wisdom. That's how a lot of these cultures looked at it. They looked at the serpent as a symbol of wisdom. So it's dualistic, d- wisdom, medicine, right? But look where we are. I always just say, forget it all, because look where we are. Look how much evil, criminality, corruption, tyranny is still not only around in our time, but it dominates to this day. And how could that be unless there was something else going on? And this is why we got to crack the code, chase these things down and try to figure out what's really going on. So, um, well, Chance, where should we begin? We got so many subjects. You guys have been talking about this all day. Uh, we've got do you want to, should we open up with Medusa and kind of crack it open from there? Or where do you think we should begin? Man, that is the great question. So I feel like maybe giving an overview of our objectives here would be good. And then we'll see how we can go. I think I kind of want to start with Roe v. Wade. But before that, I just have to insert something about the serpent because you're talking about the various things that it can mean. And I'd like to read a passage from uh, my good friend Dylan Sicosio's newest book. Spirit World, a God's Acre for Winds of the Soul. And I believe this will be etymologically quite revealing. So I'm going to read this brief paragraph here. In Hebrew and Greek, the E and H are interchangeable. The word Moses, pronounced Moshe, doesn't differ from the word to anoint. They're both in Hebrew, basically the consonants MSH. As a noun, MSH means oil which is a liquid named after water, which is named after life, which is named after the sun. This is the same with Jesus as IHS, which is the monogram for Jesus, and is IES. And the Christ contains the same meaning, the anointed. Messiah is derived from MSH also, or oil, because the Messiah is the anointed, the savior named after water, which saves life and is named after it, which is named after the sun. Therefore, snake oil is the anointed savior or son. A snake is a serpent or salvator. Serp and salve will be shown to be the same. He shows that later in the book. And oil is the anointed, just like the Messiah, just like Moses and just like Jesus. So why I bring this up is just like (laughs) the idea of salvation is probably the biggest theme here. Because as we explore this larger consistency between the medical practice and and the birth practice and the legal system and the cult of the, that the deep church has created for the world. And actually when I say the deep church, I'm not just talking about Vatican, Vatican (laughs) slip of the tongue. I said, (laughs) Vatican. we'll get into who Vatican is later. Uh, Gabriel's got a lot on that, but the idea of this, what I've been calling the messiops is like a psyop about (laughs) your need for, saving, salvation, uh, even the word salvage, 
we've explored together before the pirate symbolism in these organizations that uh, I've been now calling them the powers that were rather than the powers that be because language is very powerful. And anyway, the, the consistency in this theme is that the, there's a situation created where the individual is seen as broken or lost or dead and in need of salvation and a Messiah. And that is the consistent theme in the legal system, in the medical system, and in the religious cult across the board. And I think that is probably the most important. That's why I wanted to start with that passage. Uh, it came to me that like that would be a good place to go because really that's where it, it all begins is this idea that we need to be saved by something external to begin with. And once we've got that programming, once the Messiah has been put in place, it becomes, um, you know, you, you're ready to be corrected. <laughs> Corrections. That's what the legal system is all about, correcting you. So we need to correct ourselves <laughs> and That's not brilliant. be. I'm, yeah, go I'm ahead. glad you opened with that chance because this, and wow, that's funny because in chapter six, I tried to articulate a similar concept about how they hacked your mind, how they do this, how they operate, which is that in the, there's a survival need to have the correct coordinates in your life. Just if you think about going out and living in the wilderness, if you don't have the correct coordinates, you don't know where you're going, you could get lost and obviously your survival would be threatened. So you need to have direction, right? But we look to a map and we look to something external. Um, and instead of always learning the arts of how to get the right uh, coordinates, we rely on the experts that do have that information and they tell us where we're supposed to go, right? So there's humans have a need to want to go in the right direction, just on a primal level. And these manipulators, they know how to basically create the situation where they get to be the ones telling you the way. This is where the whole cult thing is born, isn't it? Think from Jim Jones to Apple, Walter Applewhite or um, in these creatures in the Vatican or anywhere. You know, it doesn't matter. It's all the same show, isn't it? It's you don't need to have your own inner knowledge of God, of salvation, of, um, of light, of truth, of all of these different things. You need to come to us, the intermediaries that are here as the representatives of that force. And you need to give us your tithing. You got to pay us your taxes. You got to come to us when you're sick and needy and we will give you rest. We will take care of you cradle to grave. And that is an interesting thing, but it's a very good sales pitch that works. Doesn't matter what culture it is. Doesn't matter where in the world it's been tried at any point in history. What you've laid out is sort of the overall theme of how this operates. You've got like you said, you've got the political, legal uh, system that's there to provide you justice and freedom, allegedly, and all of, and order, right? And then you've got the medical system that's there to take care of your physical body, right? And then you've got the religious symbol. And I'm not, again, we're talking not a personal religion, but the institutionalization of religion, um, which became, it was infiltrated many, many, many thousands of years ago, in my opinion. And it was rebranded and redrafted as an externalization, as you said, so that they go, we've got your survival already figured out for the afterlife, right? So forget about this world. This world is dark, scary, and evil. Don't worry about it. We've got you so your soul saved in the afterlife. But while you're here, the medics will take care of your health. The lawyers will take care of any legal problems you've got. The politicians will make sure you're doing the right, you know, you know where your coordinates are. And this whole system is, it works together. 
So even though in my series, I'm focusing on the cult of the medics, obviously anybody that's seen it knows I'm going everywhere with it. We're bringing down the house with this thing, but I, I laid it's it on so the good, dude. The it is the best. Oh, thank you. I did it with the medics because I think that's a major piece that that's a major door into the bigger nature of how, just how big this sort of cult as we're calling it. That's what it is really operates. So really, really good intro. Gabriel, to insert on that real quick is just that the reason why that's so important, your decision to do that is because it begins with health and that's, it begins and ends with health. And that's why the medical side of this, it's gotten so large and, and overgrown. Whereas before that level of influence in human history by the cult and by the priest class was less. And they've built it up and built it up. I mean, Rockefeller medicine was the coup de gras, I would say. Yeah, I call it the Rockefeller syndicate. Well, actually, I'm naming that after Eustace Mullins, who named it that. But Gabriel, any thoughts on that stuff there in that quick intro? Yeah. Uh, one thing that uh, quite a few thoughts as, as you were speaking there uh, is uh, I find uh, really uh, deep uh, meanings in our own words. and. Uh, so a couple words that you were talking about is getting your bearings, getting your orientation. And uh, here is where uh, the bear star, the barrister will will guide you on your pilgrimage. This is the this points to that pole star to Polaris to the North Pole. And this is also even uh, orientation points to the fact that the uh, the cults derive their entire their entire thing from. Eastern traditions. Uh, Dylan's new book is proving really outright that Buddhism is the same exact thing as what the Vatican is selling. Right. And also the word reckoning to get your reckoning that uh, etymologically is your recrowning. And if you want to be in command of your own ship, you need to uh, wrap your head around uh, the depth of the words that we use. And it is all nautical. You know, that is the reason why our, our language is based in uh, in the stars. Uh, so uh, recrowning, getting your reckoning, all of these things uh, lend to venerating that uh, the pole star, that Polaris. And uh, I would also even point out the um, the Bellamy salute, which is uh, you know the old Roman salute they call it, which the Nazis they put the palm forward with the you know the sick heil, but the original Bellamy salute is with the palm upwards and lifting it as though you're ho- holding a, a gem up in offering to the, to the heavens. And the Bellamy salute is, uh, you know, it's vilified. Uh, even talking about it makes people uncomfortable. But what's uh, kind of beautiful about it and worth considering is that it is uh, uh, maintaining, preserving uh, the significance of the pole star. And uh, I will also point out the swastika. The shape of the swastika is pointing out the powerful uh, central component of that pole star and how our language and the legal system is all designed to uphold, to uphold that uh, point, that center point, uh, which is the eye in the sky, the eye at the top of the Pyramid of Providence, uh, it's quite remarkable uh, how significant that is to our language uh, and our psychology and the legal system that we're in. 
So that's that bar. That's the bar, the barrister, the bar, the bear star. It's all pointing to that Bellamy salute in the North Star in the wildest way. It's really worthwhile to to understand, overstand for that matter. I'm sure that since we have plenty of time that we're not afraid of random tangents. And I just want to throw in something I I realized recently is that there's many reasons to dispute the age of the Bible as it's been given to us in the age of the stories of it, including the old Testament. But one of the reasons is that there's a powerful symbolic link between the idea of Melchizedek as described in the old Testament and Polaris in astro theology. And Polaris was not considered the pole star until at least the 13th century. And uh, before that it was beta Ursae minoris part of one of the dippers. So just that fact alone that they're talking about Melchizedek in an astro theological way as the pole star Melchizedek being Polaris in uh, astrology proves that this, uh, this system that the Vatican has laid out, they've probably inserted or they've probably revised history to make themselves look like they've been in charge longer than they really were. And what we can even trust about history is very dubious beyond um, even just a few generations back. It's pretty crazy. Well, yeah. I mean, if you look at our, look at the state of our media, I mean, if if just imagine that, you know, compound that over thousands of years of history and you'll know how much of history you can just take on face value, including theological history. And it doesn't matter what religion you look at. And what you're saying, Gabriel too, which is key is that these symbols that are, have been used by evil archies and, and cults and political tyrants and things like that throughout history, they were co-opted. And this is something I keep having to let people know about because they'll see a symbol of a pyramid. They'll see a symbol of something that looks evil to them because it was maybe used, or at least we were told about that being evil. And they don't understand that it's not the symbol itself. The symbol itself has an ancient history that goes well before any of that. Um, And that the way that evil operates, because psychopath, let's just look at a psychopath. The psychopath lacks what? It lacks empathy, right? Which is why the psychopath can operate as a predator amongst its own kind without any moral quibbles, right? Uh, Because there is no empathy for life, for nature, for their fellow man. And with the cutting off of that empathy, there's also no creativity because empathy and creativity work hand in hand. And so what the dark side has to do, just to keep it simple, is they have they can't create their own symbolism. They can't create their own religious traditions. They can't create their own cults and their own rituals and their own rights and their own political systems and their own economic systems. They don't have it in them. What they can do, though, is they can co-opt what good people created, take the best of it, warp it, repackage it, and then bring it back to the public in a way that's more uh, eye-catching, you know, like the big flashing lights and the whole thing. And when you recognize that their religion is a cult of power, a cult of power in this domain, then they're going to look for the best, the, the symbols that attract you the most. The, the places, the houses of light and truth and health and law and justice that you would go to. We should have a legal system. We should yeah, have a medical group. We should have these things. But um, they co-opt that because we trust that. And that's why chapter seven, I brought up the question of trust. And maybe I can get both of your comments on this principle. Maybe, Gabriel, starting with you, because it's all about where you place your trust, right? Yeah, man. And, if you don't have trust 
within who you are and the connection to the divine, to spirit, to God, to the kingdom of heaven, however you want to look at that. If you don't have that connection to trust that voice, then you're actually doomed to be constantly giving out your trust to people that, let's just put it nicely, don't deserve that trust, right? So what do you think about that concept of trust and the misplacing of our trust? Man, thank you for handing this over to me. Uh, this is this is glorious. This is going to give a glimpse into my mind. I have two words that I really want to uh, build out from from this. The word Jacob and the word trust. And this is going to show people kind of what I do. Today, it occurs to me, Jacob means supplanter. It means usurper. And so just like you were saying, they have no creativity. All they can do is come in and, and jack other people's uh, systems uh, and, you know, uh, bring the chaos to the order. So I'm going to uh, break down the word Jacob to right here. We've got a J is the first pillar. The B at the end of Jacob, that's the second pillar, Joachim and Boaz, J and B. Okay, and in the middle is the A-C-O. Those letters are rearrangeable to the word K-O, which is the chaos. The word Jacob is symbolic of Samson standing between the two pillars. And it is the chaos that uh, is easily ignited like a powder keg to bring down the establishment. So the word Jacob is encoding Samson standing between the pillars and toppling the establishment of the temple. And that is really something to just think about. Uh, and now the same thing can Before be Before you get into trust, Jacob is also, astrotheologically, the sun moving through the constellations. Uh, it's Yah. You would say the J like a soft J in many languages. So it's Yaakov. Maybe the soft Y. Right. So, yeah, I'm sorry. It sounds like a soft Y. The J does. So Jacob is also the son in astrotheology in terms of its role in or that character's role in the Old Testament. So which is the the ancients called it chaos. <laughs> that was an ancient name for the origin of life. So what you say has some merit and the pillars would be like, you know, the gate of winter and the gate of spring. Right. And I just uh, I always mess up her name, but Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Her initials do the same thing. You rearrange them and you get KO. It's chaos. And uh, it's a lot of chaos coming out of there, eh? It's a lot to think about with that one. Those teeth, man. Whew, scary. So, uh, well, the other one quick, is. As you're saying, Jacob, and again, we're not slighting anybody named Jacob or J. Again, these are all principles that can be used for good or bad. There's a good chaos, there's a bad chaos. You can, uh, you know, if you want to bring down. Uh, a temple that is evil and destructive to humanity, to civilization and to freedom, then you might need a little bit of chaos in that sense. But then you can also look what they're doing with uh, revving up all of the radicals right now over these issues and creating these issues so that people literally are out in the streets trying to burn the whole place down uh, to get that knee jerk reaction because they want to employ agents of chaos to help bring down America, bring down Western civilization, and then bring in a new order, right? So mm -hmm. it, it, it can be used in both ways. We just got to say that. But uh, one little note that came from George Washington even was that he actually called the Illuminati the Jacobinites, the Jacobinites in his letters. 
He would say the Jacobinites, and we're thinking back now to France, right? The French Revolution, the groups that were there. Uh, people need to go read uh, Carrie Bolton's book, The Psychotic Left, to get the whole history of that that chapter. But that was one of their names, the Jacobinites. And the reason why makes sense based on what you just said was because at that time, these elite aristocratic black nobility families were looking to create agents of division and destruction and chaos to bring down that chapter and bring in the new the new one. Basically, that was another phase of bringing in their new world order at the time. We're kind of coming back to that right now in our current time. But the name of this group was known as the Jacobinites. So their symbolism, we're talking like, especially when we look at the Jesuits, this black sun symbolism. Right. The sun gods are almost always depicted in some way as black, actually. And in astrotheology, where does Jacob come from? Abraham begots, begets Isaac. Abraham means high father of darkness. <laughs> uh, Ab or Ab is father. Ham is, it means black or, or blackened. So he begets Isaac. Isaac is circumcised on the eighth day, just like Jesus, who is another solar character. And uh, Isaac then begets Jacob. Jacob begets the 12 patriarchs of the tribes, the 12 months of the year, the Zodiac. Uh, and what the sun does in its phase in the, in the winter, when it's the high father of darkness is referring to the sun in winter, that's when everything dies so it can be renovated in the spring. So to identify with that symbolism of the black sun, is the chaos that destroys to bring about the new preferred order. There's a reason for that chosen symbolism. And is it the truth about the, and again, we can even get into the term dark and light and shadow and all of this, nothing good or evil about it. It's just symbols that came, as you were saying, Gabriel, it started back with the way we perceived the sky because we needed to navigate the, not the, the, I guess the navigators of the seas would have been the first or, and they even had these different schools in ancient Egypt where they would even have these groups that were acclimatized to the dark so that they could better tell the direction and the points of the sun, the moon, the stars. Uh, it was, they built their temples after it and the dark side of the sun, there's many renditions of it. I'd love to get uh, MSAR's take on this, but one thing that I had been reading was that it's also talking about the occultation of the sun during solar eclipses and things like that. And that they actually worshipped like a false sun because they believed that the back of the sun would have been dark. The, the front would have been light. So the light is what's shown to the human eye. But there's a concealed either order or chaos that's behind that, that's driving it. And that that's the secrets. The black sun is the secret knowledge because we get knowledge from the illumination of the sun, from the photosynthesis of the sun. It, it, that's how you see, right? We see because we can see the light. Well, when the sun goes down, that knowledge becomes hidden. And that's your hidden, dark, black knowledge, black projects, right? The dark occult, right? Think about that, the occulting of a planet, the occulting of the sun. So however people interpret that, um, when we look at how different Groups like, say, the Nazis, you know, and the, the Thule and all these different orders, and there are many of them, uh, viewed it. They just had a particular view of it that would have gained them advantage by having access to this occulted uh, information that would have been considered dark information. But don't mix that up with just the dark souls or whatever. You know, it's, it, these terms have many different meanings, you know? Yeah. So, and uh, before I supplanted Gabriel, 
there, he had some thoughts, I think, about trust. And I, I believe that that's a really great. Yeah, let's do the trust I'm very um, to talk about. And I mean, I've got thoughts about that legally, and I think it's going to connect to us getting into some of the matters at hand. So go ahead, Gabriel. OK, the trust is a fascinating thing. And trust law, I believe, is uh, a, a key aspect of, uh, you know, fighting our way out of uh, what what we have found ourselves in in this realm. Um, so the word trust law, uh, much like that J and the B, the two pillars, you have a T on the beginning and a T on the other side, like a tress, like a structure that or a pie, the symbol of pie. You could think of it as an altar or a table, uh, the, the meeting table, the place where the meeting of the minds is, is had. Well, in the middle of the two T's is the R-U-S. And this etymologically hails back in Hebrew and in Latin. It hails back to your head. The res in Latin is a head of cattle, a head of vaca, a head of steer. And in Hebrew, resh is the head. So we are literally, the word trust implies a meeting of the minds, a coming together at the table, a sharing of the, of the benefits of this agreement. But what a lot, of people, every, a lot of people presume that we're talking about two people, two people making this arrangement. But there are actually three aspects of a trust. There is a third undisclosed component of uh, most trust agreements, and that is the, true, the, uh, the beneficiary, which a lot of this uh, kind of lends into uh, Kirk Kallenbach's work with what is called the tertium quid, which is a very fascinating thing to research and wrap your head around. Uh, but it is tertium quid means the third something. And that is the uh, missing component uh, to the full disclosure of the trusts that we engage in, particularly around the birth certificate. Here we are. Very nice. Thank you, Chance. And this is that sacred triangle. This is why they they are all about that number three. So when you're talking, Gabriel, here, we've got, yeah, the trustee, beneficiary, settler, transfer of assets. This is great. So trust law, admiralty law, maybe explain to people the difference between those. Yeah, we're about to have to really dive into some things here. <laughs> uh, let's hold on to this idea for a second and just point out that like specifically what a trust is in law is like a, uh, we can bring the screen share down also, David, I'll let you know if I want to put it back up. I've got possibly other images to put in, but in, in law, the trust is like, a legal entity employed to hold property uh, generally because the assets will be thought to be safer there. So this is all about what happens at birth. Actually right. <laughs> trust law plays into what happens at birth. A hundred percent, the yep. birth certificated personhood that is granted at that point um, is creating a trust, creating a corporate person that is a, an artificial person separate from the natural person that is franchised to the government, a franchise of the corporation that the government actually is. So uh, we'll have to really flesh out some of those ideas, but that's like the big picture hypothesis that we're going to support with some of our conversation going forward. But before we do that, maybe let's talk a little bit about the current situation to get us into 
where we're going because what we're talking about is the we're talking we're going to be talking about abortion but not abortion in the way that people think of it abortion <laughs> the legal definition of delivery let's just start there the legal definition of delivery is a baby and all of its membranes and afterbirth materials so keep that in mind that anything that does not constitute the full delivery of baby and everything that comes with baby is an abortion by legal definition. And um, people may already be putting two and two together, but that means that every birth that is done in a hospital through their standard operating procedure is an abortion. Very important to to know that. So Roe v. Wade just happened and I don't want to rile anybody up. I don't want to have the conversation right now about like what a woman's right is to do or not do with her body or the, the morality of all the different possible situations and varieties of termination of pregnancy. That is not what it's about. And I do not think that that's what Roe v. Wade was about in terms of why it's coming up in the media uh, right now or in the courts right now. Uh, I've been doing my best to look into this by the, through the lens of like, what did the justices actually say about what they're doing? And without directing the whole conversation into just talking about the legal precedent that has just been set, it seems that the conservative judges or uh, justices right now were really talking about the 14th Amendment and due process. And what is the, okay, so now we got to talk about what is the 14, 14th Amendment. <laughs> and uh, Gabriel will be able to help us out with understanding that. But the 14th Amendment is about United States federal citizenship as opposed to state citizenship and not the state but the actual land. Uh, so there is a whole different category of citizenship that was created with the 14th amendment. And what it, the ju- the justices seem to be saying about Roe v. Wade right now is nothing to do with whether or not somebody can get an abortion or terminate their pregnancy, but everything about whether or not the federal government has the, has the power to enforce uh, on the States that they must give that Basically, in the simplest terms, that it's not a constitutionally protected right or ha- or under due process for the, that the states should be allowed to make their own laws about how that works, which is actually a huge win for freedom, huge win for freedom. But it's being packaged by the media in this shit, shit show. Uh, you know, it comes it happens in cancer, of course, in the sign of cancer, the most emotional uh, reactive sign <laughs> of the Zodiac. It happens to also connect to the idea that we're going to be discussing, which is what happens at birth, having to do with a, an artificial separation or a cut, which is what cancer and the, the crab claw has a lot to do with as well. And we'll talk about the astrotheology of that. But the point, uh, to the circle back around to the point, I know I'm jumping around a lot. This is like a huge ball of conce- concepts that need to be tied together. And we're going to do our best and take our time. The 14th Amendment grants franchise. You people have been enfranchised by the 14th Amendment, whether or not they had any particular skin color or previous status as slave or of citizen of one of the several states. So the several states are not the same in legal terms as the state of such and such. The state of Missouri is not where I live. I live in Missouri. The state of Missouri, where you have a residence, in legal terms as a federal citizen is actually a jurisdiction in Washington, DC. 
it is a subcorporation or franchise of the larger corporation that is the United States as a in all capital letters entity, corporate entity. Completely, complete like word sorcery, black magic going on here to confuse the issue to those who don't speak legalese about what the United States is versus what the actual land of America is and what the states are versus what the state of the incorporated state of or the incorporated city of very different things here. <laughs> we're dealing with uh we're dealing with an artificially created duality that most people have no idea that they're involved with. So the, and just, uh, just before you continue chance, real quick point for my Canadian listeners and people listening anywhere in the world, it's all set up in a very similar fashion. It's uh, exactly what you're saying. Private corporations There's a big difference between the United States of America or America as the land. And then you notice a lot of the politicians say United States, it's the United States, it's the United States, because they're talking it's united under the state, the law, right? So different terms, different uh, ways of looking at it. The birth process, the maritime admiralty, it all connects in. There's so much to flesh out there. But I just wanted to say, this isn't just something happening in uh, the District of Columbia. This is the, the districts run by the Trirenium, the Triple Crown, that is a global uh, phenomenon because, of course, this is a global empire that was set up as a banking legal system to basically from birth make you into property of the state as opposed to the state simply being what we all think it is, which is just elected representatives that are there to help manage the administrative aspects of our lives um, for our benefit. Uh, you start to realize that no, these politicians, they don't work for you. They actually can't work for you because they're employed and they're sort of held under this admiralty type system. So I just wanted to say that. Yeah, you nailed it. And I think the United States is uh, the corporate model that the rest of the world tends to follow. That's so, right. yeah, what you just said, this does apply to everywhere, although maybe this particular legal um, situation of Roe v. Wade being, quote unquote, overturned is more precedent for the U.S., the states. Right. But we got to talk about the 14th Amendment now. So. <laughs> Uh, the 14th Amendment granting franchise or Gabriel, do you want to jump any on this or do you want me to continue this flow? Because I've got some, well, I've got a I, pretty good direction to go. Do you think? Yeah. Well, just let me, uh, let me just insert uh, some of the aspects of the word federal. Uh, it's a very important word to consider. It has many echoes in our language that are more related than a lot of people think. Um, the other day I tried to look up uh, the, the word fetters. Fetters, F-E-D-D-E-R-S. It means shackles. And wouldn't you know, I had a hard time finding the definition online. I had to go and get my old 1962 dictionary and look up the word fetters because really? I just it was faster. Uh, I didn't want to dig through the bullshit. But almost all the words, almost all the words that are similar to fetters, uh, feeders, fodder, father, they are more related than most people think. I got one for you. Fatris or Fetris. It's very close to fetters. Yeah. And it means a patroness, a female patroness. We're wow. talking about the federal system. We're talking about Vatica. We're talking about the dark goddess fed her all. We're feeding her all of our loose and our, and our, our babies and all this stuff. It's like a dark goddess fed her all, fed her all. Yes. This fe is uh, Fetris. This is Cybele is always depicted with a fortress. Her crown is a fortress. 
So all of these things, this is the, this is the foundation of Sybilization. Sybil is the goddess of castration. And that is the root of uh, the whole MK Ultra system, the Maltese Knights, MK, the Maltese Knights uh, upholding a covenant to uh, circumcise all of the males and then uh, whisper little echoes uh, through the language to remind you of that, uh, pri- the primary scar. Uh, so th- I know that was a, those a, nights, a lot of- Gabriel, those nights, yeah. uh, Michael was pointing out that they are known as the castrate. And That's they used to up. actually in the in the medieval period and before they used to actually do the castration ritual. Of these eunuchs, they even have uh, hints of this in Game of Thrones. Remember that bald guy, that creepy bald guy? He was actually one of the castrate, right? And once you uh, research this, you'll see it everywhere, David. Like this, the, we found the tool, what the tool looks like that was used for circumcision. And it is like uh, echoes of that shape are all over the damn place, especially in the Crowley Tarot. Yeah, that's well, this is also the Shriners. They have the scimitar as their symbol. Uh, What's a Western Vatican medieval Masonic type order doing with Middle Eastern, um, you know, Islamic type symbolism on its, uh, you know, with the crescent moon and the star and the whole thing? Uh, Of course, there's a whole when we get into the human trafficking thing, we bring up the Shriners. But um, there's there's so much there. And then what was the other point? The Castrate. Oh, now it might even he was telling me he wasn't sure. Do they actually really? chop it off or do they uh is it just a ceremonial thing now like that's kind of the debate is it ceremonial is it real are there certain guys that are really high up in the cult but the castrate that's a huge thing and they would be castrating for the the god it was a goddess thing it was had nothing to do with any kind of uh patriarchal thing it was to to in service to the goddess this is why the templars would grow their hair long this is why, you know, both the Templars and the guys running around the Vatican are all wearing feminine clothing, the long dress, the frilly lace, the symbols all over the place. Uh, it goes back to these ancient uh, witch covens and goddess cults. Yeah, well, what, what do you go to the, the doctors for when you're sick? What else shares the root of the word sick? It's the sickle. It's the scythe. It's the scalpel. It's the Scythians. <laughs> Who holds the scythe? It's Kronos, wow. it's, whose name is also Bar, the Bar Association. It goes on, dude. It goes on and on. There's so many pathways. What were we saying, though, Chant? Or Gabriel, go ahead. What, yeah, one more, uh, just to add another log on the fire. Um, the word uh, officer, this was, a, this was a very rewarding realization for me. The word officer... Uh, has a biblical translation, uh, a concordance, uh, hailing back to uh, a much more uh, culturally informative phrasing of the concept. The word officer uh, translates to eunuch of the Pharaoh. And no way. Yes. The word no ophi, ophi means serpent, and in Greek... Sir rep- means serpent, dude. Ophi, ophi, sir. It's both. Right. So, uh, in, and stir in Greek, means Lord and rock as well. So in it's service uh, to the serpent. Yeah. So, so in Greek, they would, uh, do these puns, these plays on words. So when you translate it to snake, you're like, okay, it means snake and you stick in the literal, but it's also metaphorical. It's absolutely hailing back to, uh, castration, um, because the eunuchs could be trusted by the Pharaoh. 
to uh, guard his harem and be in the household. And they didn't have the key to the gates. They couldn't violate the trust of the Pharaoh. And it is quite profound to, uh, to appreciate how this is still in play today and how officers uh, are required to give up their potency uh, to take on a position of obedience and um, subservience to, I don't think even they know who their, where their loyalties yeah. truly lie at this point. It's too compartmentalized. As you're talking there, I can just, I just had a scene in my mind of like showing up for work back in ancient Egypt under these God, under these pharaohs. And you walk in and like, well, welcome to your first day of work. Let me show you around. Uh, leave your willy on the table before you proceed and then all will be given to you. We'll give you your insurance coverage and you know, whatnot. You imagine that? Wow. That's the ruse. That's the ruse in the word trust. Putting your willy on the table. You just said it. <laughs> they don't trust you if you don't put the roost on the table. Wow. The rooster. Yeah. Incredible. Man. I didn't know that's that about officer, but that makes sense. That That's etymology, guys. Etymology and symbolism unlocks all the doors. That is, It really does. And it may, you know, it may at times going into the etymology and the green language feel like there are bridges too far that too many connections are being asserted. But the fact is like enough of it is the pattern is too strong. The pattern is too strong. And even if some things end up being a stretch or uh, a misconstruing, the fact is that like spirit also has some involvement in the way that languages evolve living languages. And um, everything is really connected to everything in a etheric sense in reality. So even the big stretches, um, you know, if they don't resonate, they don't feel good to you. Even things that we talk about, don't hold on to that one. But some of this is going to resonate. Some of it, like there's too much of a pattern to leave it all behind. Yeah, no, and Chance, good point. Because, you know, for everybody having issues with certain connections, I mean, make your own connections. We're all here trying to investigate a very deep and very ancient mystery. And we're trying to get a scope on how, not how you interpret symbols. <laughs> We should all have our own beautiful interpretation of symbols, but how do these people interpret symbols? How do they look at the language? How have they crafted using language and symbolism, the entire prison matrix that we all talk about? That's how they made it. That's why even in the movie, the matrix, what is the matrix? It's shown to you in these like symbolic kanji, like looks like a combination of all the languages, types of symbols that reveal what the real matrix is. That's why you don't, I just don't even see the code anymore. I see blonde, brunette, redhead. Remember that guy? It's it's like that. So it's a Rubik's cube. We're not saying declarative stuff here. We're trying to give you the theme and the mindset so that you can start looking at this. And then of course, there are so many amazing scholars, uh, so many great books that you can get into that actually there's even insiders, Masonic insiders and elite insiders that come out and they even tell you what those symbols mean to them. The pine cone, the serpent, the pyramid the cross, uh, they come out and tell you openly what they mean. So we're looking at kind of all of it, getting, giving our opinion. And in the end, we're all just trying to figure out what the hell these things mean to these people that are running the ship of state. Yes. Yeah. Even that character's name is tank and a tank etymologically, the origin of that phrase is an underground cistern. And so like this knowledge we're talking about, the, 
the occulted mystery knowledge of the ancient schools is often referred to as an underground stream. And uh, oftentimes these organizations will like show off their involvement with glorious fountains. Fountains are a big thing to them. So that's a little tangent. I think we should get into the 14th amendment thing. Gabriel, I I want to share, I want to share one thing and please be patient with me. I'm about to try screen share on this, on this program for my first time. But it's just we've really primed the stage for me to share this. Uh, one of my most recent memes and discoveries. Um, let's see. Am I yeah, if you just hit that little middle share screen and then pull up the screen you want and then it should pass it to me and I can bring it up. Let's see. Just like how we do it over on StreamYard, buddy. Is that it? Is it? Am I up yet? Uh, I'm not seeing it pop up in my, oh, no, there it is. I got it now. Hold on. You got it? Okay, here we go. Are you seeing this? Yes. Annika. Okay. So this is, uh, I'm kind of new at meme making, and I am uh, might be a little heavy handed on this one, I'll admit. But what I want to maybe convey is that it's not an either or situation. These words, I think of them as hyper sigils, where all of these meanings are correct at the same time. And when we use this word officer, we are uh, hearkening back to many places in our cultural memory, many places. And so you can see what I've done here. I've taken the word Anakin and revealed the whisper, the twilight language behind the name. Because we know, we know this story. We've seen this play out. And Anakin goes on a killing spree and uh, goes into the temple and uh, does, he projects his own trauma, his own pain and agony and fear of loss of his child. He projects it onto uh, the younglings in the temple. And uh, all of this is his path to become the highest officer the highest ranking officer in the empire. And, and you so, bet after he gets all fucked up, he probably doesn't have a working uh, Willie anymore. <laughs> right. He ends up getting, uh, yeah, he, he gets, loses his standing uh, of, of all this. It's so sacrificial. It's just absurd, really. Uh, but these just are, the fact that that went under the radar that in this movie, the star Wars movie, the kids go to see, yeah. The character that they identified with for two movies before that goes and murders all the children. And people are just like, yeah, Star Wars. So great. And it's never no one even thinks twice about it. Yes, it's it's quite profound. So I've done, uh, you know, a lot of people have done a lot of uh, things with the word officer. Uh, but I'm just kind of uh, putting it into uh, into the, the context of this particular aspect of. American uh, culture for multiple generations. We handed Star Wars off to our kids, you know, and now our kids are uh, under the influence of Disney LGBTQ plus <laughs> at this point. So it's not what it started out as, but uh, it is quite revealing to think of this of Pfizer, you know, the yeah, Ophi. That's, that's interesting. I've never seen that before. Yes. The Ophi seer. You know, the slave master in the field was the overseer. You know, that also is power. And he's got a whip. He's cracking a whip. He's using a supplemental phallus. That's another uh, aspect of the officer. You know, and the, they don't and the have- F aspirate and the V aspirate 
interchange between many languages. So overseer and officer is like very much a philological similarity. Yes. And then, you know, there's the uh, PHI is personal health information, you know, and now uh, hmm. everybody's got their, their PHI is in jeopardy, shall we say, uh, at this point in, the, in, uh, in our history. And then down here, yeah, this a requirement, was, it's a requirement for you to access the temple, the, to access the society, right? Bingo. Bingo, man. You got it. And then here's one that just, this is real subtle. Uh, in, some people might think of it as, as a stretch, but the, the power of it uh, is really coming to the forefront right now. You know, one of my original uh, fearful moments uh, was when Vader removed the mask. When the mask came off, uh, it was a very impactful moment in my, uh, in my psychology, in my childhood. And so uh, I find it quite interesting that we are dealing with masks on a mass ritualistic scale. And not only the removal of the mask being terrifying, but the fact that Vader was on a respirator. He was on a respirator the whole time. The sound right. of a respirator is the sound of terror uh, for two generations at this point. So and I everybody just, kind of sounded like Darth Vader for two years talking through, oh, can I get an exercise fries with that? <laughs> <laughs> nice, nice. So, yeah, I just kind of put this together because these are all things that our language whispers to our subunconscious, whether we know it or not. This is, uh, you know, the twilight speak, the, uh, you know, the low grade threats that we uh, that we encode with our language uh, still to this day. And it's important to just consider the impact of that as it repeats for two generations. And uh, it's building on uh, that old uh, eunuch of the Pharaoh. It's very informative to think about all of the power of that word. That's great, Gabriel, because leading into talking more a little bit about the 14th Amendment and what Mm -hmm. it does, um, the mask, (laughs) the the mask ritual. I'm sure people in the audience have considered this before, heard it spoken about, but the mask in Latin, the word for it is persona. And when we start to talk about the 14th Amendment for federal citizenship, it has everything to do with the legal concept of the person, the natural person versus the artificial person. And the artificial person is the mask that you wear as a form of protection, legally, um, separation uh, that is thought to, I mean, even corporations are said to be persons now, right? So. The fact that they got everybody or many people walking around covering their face with a mask was symbolic of their acceptance of their status as enfranchised. So the 14th Amendment, when it was put into place before that, everybody was on a state citizenship. Their rights were protected uh, by the Constitution, by their state constitutions. They were under the jurisdiction of where they actually lived. Um, and Franchise. Just think about the meaning of that word as it's used in common vernacular, and you'll understand what it really meant when slaves were enfranchised. And it wasn't just slaves. It was everybody in the country. Enfranchised means you're a corporate subsidiary of a larger corporation. It's literally the putting on of a mask of corporation. Personhood is a corporate status, right? (laughs) Now, that word has twilight language all over it. It's a corpse orator. 
corporation. It's the the speaker for the dead. And when you put on that mask of your artificial personhood and enter the court and you identify yourself as the the date of birth and the all capital letters name that appears on your uh, driver's license and other government documents, you're accepting this legal status of personhood as an agent. uh, And you're no longer represent, you're no longer uh, appearing as the living man or woman you're, and this all may sound far out or it may all be like review for people that have studied uh, the legal system and the occult aspects of it. I mean, they call it black's law dictionary for a reason. (laughs) It's meant to remain occulted. So 14th amendment also is important um, because it has to do with due process. Due process is mentioned in the constitution, but it's a misunderstood concept. Due process doesn't have anything to do with actually specifically protecting your rights uh, in in any kind of legal proceeding. It actually is more about procedural protocol in the court. So due process is a term referring to the actual procedure that the court takes with cases that it does uh, specifically. So whenever you're getting this message that like your due process is protected, it's more like saying that you're guaranteed that the court is going to abide by its own rules, its own playbook, (laughs) and that you're going to be treated consistently within that framework. So the uh, Roe versus Wade thing, it is basically a win for freedom in the sense that we're reversing. And interestingly enough, some of the justices made statements during this during their statements on this case that sounded very much like they were interested in straight up overturning the 14th amendment whenever they get the next opportunity to do so, which is really amazing to think about. It might sound scary to the average citizen who thinks like, Oh no, I'll lose my right to uh, vote in fake rigged elections, (laughs) you know, because that's part of what 14th amendment created was like the main citizenry getting to play the game of uh, casting a ballot and uh, letting their electors say that they're representing them based on that. So there's a lot to it, but uh, essentially 14th amendment citizenship is granted the granted the federal government, the ability to do what it does at birth, creating a birth certificated person uh, different than a certificate of live birth, which is actually before all of this uh, people would write down births in the Bible, in their family Bible. And that would be the record of your existence in a legal framework or in a lawful framework, because lawful means different than legal. You know, if people out there are more researched in this than me, excuse me if I ever get the terminology wrong, because the fact is with legalese, it's like almost designed and weaponized to be phonetically the same sounds as the English language, but overturning your intent through opposite meanings in many of these words. It's like, I've heard it described legalese as uh, Latin <laughs> in the in English grammar or something along those lines. So that is what I believe may be going on with 14th Amendment uh, and with Roe versus Wade, that there's a bigger game at play and the way the media has spun it is just like they do all the time. We actually get a win our rights are being restored in some sense or honored more like, because you can't take away inherent rights that human beings have naturally. That's the whole point. Um, And all these violations that have been done to the citizenry that seem so unconstitutional 
over the last many years, uh, you know, and things like social security and, and all these endless government programs that exploit and extort from the people and taxation, income tax, this type of stuff. These are all rights <laughs> that are granted to you as privileges and rights of being a federal citizen. You, you can look into the legal code and find the language that says, you have the right to be taxed. You have the right to be extorted. You have the right to be experimented on all under the framework of they're doing it to the legal personhood that you are claiming to be rather than the natural person or the living human being that was honored and respected by constitutional bills of rights around the world and Magna Cartas and things like that. So that's well, my that's best take at it. And I'll leave us to the birth stuff, but you guys go ahead. That's interesting when you say we were saying before about the masking, about how there's sort of like they create a ritual whereby people under their ignorant state of mind uh, actually voluntarily give their rights away to the house on the hill, to the federal government. That's what the federal government is. Uh, the whole concept of having a constitutional republic wasn't about in building a federal state. It was about giving the power of the people to the people. And having that with as local representative as you possibly could have, because the further that representative is away from the actual person, the actual citizen, uh, the less control that citizen has over their lives and their destiny. And look where we're at. I mean, I live in Canada and right now there are provinces in Canada that want to secede from the Canadian federal system. Uh, that's essentially a British, a British crown. Um, thing. So, um, and it, I see the same thing in the States. There are many States that have been speaking about seceding from the union, right? Because mm -hmm. they're, they're not trying to say, I don't want to be a part of America anymore. or I don't want to be part of Canada anymore. They just don't want to be involved in this criminal racket run through these federal orgs. And it's the same everywhere. And think about that. The symbolism of the state house on the Hill, the ivory tower, the, the, uh, the temple, by which the elites and the priests and the, the monarchs would rule from. Uh, that's, that's the symbol of DC, the, the house on the hill, the White House on the hill. That is the District of Columbia. It's not the, it's not America. They created a whole new district that's a fiction that imprinted itself on top of America. It's the same in all these countries. So when they now symbolically have all these people, um, basically, voluntarily behaving as if they are animals on a farm that need to be herded through these gates and walk on the, on the arrows and wear the mask because you're contaminated and stay six feet apart and take these injections, just like we inject all the cattle, with the, you know, it, that is a way of bringing people into the mindset that they are subservient to that fake system because the whole thing is a fake demic. It's a, it's a fake thing that they're using to get you to consent to the new system. And they want to continually centralize power. So it started with maybe corruption at a state or provincial level back in the day that birthed a federal org, which was the centralization of power in the country. And then that is now drafted out through your CFRs and roundtable groups and all these international things into now your UN's World Health Organization, et cetera, who, which is now opting in for a global world government state that will administer. They will be the house on the hill for the entire planet, administering and managing whatever's left of humanity when they finally get it done. So it's interesting to see the progression. And I think that's why this is important to help people understand how this works on at least the esoteric level. 
Yeah, buddy. Let so, me drop a little bit of etymology real quick and then kick it over to Gabriel. So the district, <laughs> the district of criminals, Washington, D.C. District obviously has to do with the division of a territory into portions, right? And division and, and cutting things up is definitely what we're talking about here thematically in terms of what these uh, pirates and vultures are all about. But district comes from a Latin word, distrain. Uh, well, etymologically, uh, it comes from a word distrain, which maybe isn't exactly uh, Latin, but it's derived from dis and stringo. <laughs> anyway, distrain. Let me read this. This is from Webster's 1828 Dictionary, where it gives you the link right in the definition of district to the entry for distrain. To seize for debt. To take a personal chattel from the possession of a wrongdoer into the possession of the injured party to satisfy a demand or compel the performance of a duty as to distrain goods for rent. And also the second definition is to rend or tear. So I, that's what we're talking about with that's uh, the word district. District comes from the word distrain, which means all of that. Distrain. Yeah. Distrain. District is like a slight revision of the word distrain to be used in terms of like um like uh land and and divisions of of territory but it's from the word distrain mm -hmm. you know uh while we're on the etymology you know you mentioned the mask is latin for person and specifically it's etruscan in the etruscans are not to be trusted in this day and age, uh, but they were uh, notorious as diviners of serpents. And, and they were the pre preeminent or um, the progenitors of Rome and the Latins. Right. They were the readers of the auguries. They, you know, they were uh, hailing back to this ophiolatry and the serpent cults. Uh, so the fact that it has that Etruscan connection is very culturally uh, powerful, very significant. It could be a, a very good connecting uh, data point, a touch point to go from the, this mask of the 14th Amendment and where we will eventually walk into the, uh, the story of Medusa as Perseus is holding a, a second persona. He, is, he has two heads. He has his head and he has this, uh, this other monster that he's holding. And it is very... Uh, tightly woven into the cultural implication that we're using an Etruscan word uh, in that 14th Amendment. It's very powerful to consider. And one other thing. Uh, Interesting uh, thing about the Etruscan language is that it is almost the exact same as Sanskrit in terms of words and construction. It's very, yeah, it's, it's crucial to, un to understand what that, what that means uh, in our words today, how it influences our reality we form with our abracadabra. Uh, but another thing I just wanted to say, uh, David, the word uh, face mask, you just uh, rearrange the letters ever so slightly and you get fake scam. It's right there. Fake scam, face mask. It's right there. It's all there. And it's a deeper truth. It's an even deeper truth. And I know a lot of people uh, don't like to uh, take that bridge too far, but I'll point out, I will point out, Mercury, the messenger, the light bringer, he goes in both directions. He goes back and forth. He, uh, uh, he speaks in two directions. 
because he's the messenger. He has to be able to read languages that go from left to right, and he reads those languages that go from right to left. So all of our words, if you want to get the true value of them, you got to turn them inside out, upside down, forward, backward, and really look at uh, the messages that we're conveying to one another. And that's kind of, that's, that's, that's my lens that I look at things. So when I see face mask, I'm giggling the ba- in the back of my head because everybody's using that word and they don't even realize that they're admitting that this is a fake scam. That's incredible. And for anybody that thinks it's a bridge too far, once again, just, you know, you, when you study just how, just on a basic level, how important ceremony and ritual is mm-hmm. to these elites, like, I mean, look at your city designs, look at the logos, look at the the big ceremonies, the opening and closing ceremonies, um, you know, all the the way that they roll out any of these narratives or any of these things that are going on. There is a, first of all, the dates and the timings are not coincidental at all because they constantly fall on these very particular dates that we know are worshipped by these Mithraic cults and these ancient cults. Um, and these people like to brag about it. It's almost like they want us to know. I mean, look at the, it's, it could, if it was different types of symbolism being employed, you could say, oh, it's just coincidence. But the fact that it's consistent throughout Hollywood, throughout the music industry, throughout the political stuff, throughout what you're seeing in the media, the words that they use, um, and then you understand legal language. And that's how, what underpins it all, right? That bar. Um, then you can understand how this all really fits together. And I think that's really important so that we can get an, a lens into how these people think. So it might not be important to you, but it's very important to these people. And that's why I'm curious about it. Yeah, when the study of language uh, and, and the priesthoods and the mystery traditions proves outright that they're completely invested with encoding things through puns. So anagrams... Like Gabriel just pointed out, they do constitute maybe not um, maybe not like court of law evidence, but a mounting continual pile of observations that consistency is the hallmark of truth. Right. I was going to say it. I was waiting. I had it locked and loaded. I was ready to drop that. That is a real nice mantra to live by. Consistency is the hallmark of truth. And another point. They're, uh, they're not hiding anything. It is a code. They tell you it's a code. It's the UCC code. You, mm-hmm. yes, to the C. You are agreeing to go into maritime law. You, yes, to the C, UCC, which was birthed out of Barcelona. Very significant. What do they call the jurisdiction of the uh, episcopacies and the bishops? It's called the Holy See. The Holy See, nothing holy about it. Um, <laughs> the you said birthed Gabriel, and we've been talking. You brought up some stuff with Roe versus Wade chance and what's really going on here. Um, maybe birth, the the concept of birth, and the fact that if you remember, we were even chatting about this chance in our last show uh, when I was on your platform about that little bit that I put into the trailer for Chapter Eight, which was a segment from the interview I did with Michael where he broke down the cradle to grave uh, concept. I'm going to have a whole section of this in chapter eight to break it down. But the idea that you have the, you know, he said you're born to the white coats and you die to the black coats. You have the white coated Templar that brings you into the world under their jurisdiction. And then the black coated Templar helps you exit this world. So they literally see it 
as the white checkerboard, white and black checkerboard squares on the chessboard. They control you cradle to grave. And it starts with the birth process. So before we even get in, we don't even have to get in today to the discussion about abortion and morality and all that. We've done that before. Let's think about it from the symbol legal world of birthing. (laughs) The fact that you're born, birth, birth, what is a birth? I mean, if you go back to the old Jordan Maxwell sting on it, he would say the ship births when it docks. It's the birth. Unloading Um, of cargo. It's a female name that's given to ships, by the way. Isn't that interesting? And they're bringing the cargo into the harbor. And that symbolically, the way they crafted this legal language was based on that because the system you were being born into wasn't a natural law of the land protected by a constitution. The hijack, the pirate aspect of it was to bring you in to their citizenship and you have to be birthed on the dock. The dock, hey, what's up, doc? You know, <laughs> welcome to Earth, smack the bum of the baby. Here you go, give him a couple injections. And now you are approved. And here's your legal citizenship that basically turns you into a code that can be traded on the New York Stock Exchange. So, birth, uh, Gabriel, open up with birth and then chance, take it away. Yeah. And I will just say this is uh, probably the most important aspect of the whole conversation here because it's what almost everybody will have experienced. Yes. Well, if you're living, we're all here in this, we're all in the ship. Well, I mean, like hospital birth versus yeah. like, you know, yeah. coming from your mother's womb. Of course, we all experienced that, but almost all of us for sure came from a hospital too. Right. Yes. Right. But Gabriel, birth, what do you think? Uh, I love it. I love what uh, what you guys are bringing forward about you come in in the white and you leave on the black and that having its relationship to the checkerboard floor ceremoniously. Uh, and even the fact that if you go in front of a black robed judge, that they are uh, imposing ritualistically a living resurrection uh, ritual onto you and your right to remain silent is, uh, is a, it's a, you are being, you are embodying the Christ story. You're being put into a, a dark, dungeness, underground location, and you expect to come out reborn, born again, seeing the error of your ways. They got plenty of Bibles to, for you to read while you're in there, and so uh, they are imposing this ritualistic uh, uh, living resurrection. Uh, in uh, what about the word right, Gabriel? <laughs> you just said rights. I'm thinking. Well, you can spell that in two different ways, can't you? R I G H T, which everybody three ways. I want my right, and then there's the rights, R I T E. Yes, and yeah. writing like with words. The w. Hmm. Yes. So uh, the birthing aspect of this is uh, it is uh, it's the first. This is you know all all journeys begin with the first step, and if that first step is in the wrong direction or on the wrong foot. Uh, uh, it'll be a long way to set things right again. What's um, the first thing that happens to the baby's foot? Goes on to two-dimensional uh, paperwork. On the baby's uh, foot is stamped. The sole. Yes, in your the ankle. The, the ankle is the right angle uh, that uh, brings you from an upright standing. You have standing, but then uh, not in court. You don't. Because right, legal standing. Oh my you've god, you've lost oh. your legal standing. Now this is really something. Uh, this uh, and you probably won't find this in any of the Black's Law stuff. But let's look at the word certificate. Certificate. 
Let's really break it down. Let's have some fun. Uh, S word or a C word. The yes. C means yes. The yes word, tav, is, means foot in Hebrew. Tav is a very significant syllable in the English language. It means so much more than, uh, so, than many people consider. So the S word vacates your footing. Sir Tav, vacate. The yes, yes word, uh, Sir Tav, vacates. Saying yes will vacate your standing. Giving acquiescence. This is consent. This is the process of gaining consent. Yes. And tav, it means foot. It means um, life and death. It's a Hebrew word. And the, its implications on the English language are really hard to fathom. Uh, it's like you got to go back to all the words you were using your whole life and think back again and be like, hmm, how does this mean? Beginning, ending, life, death. It's the last letter of the Hebrew alphabet. It's 22. It's the Omega. Yes. And everything we're talking about, putting you into. Um, onto and it's symbolized with the cross, like your, your Knights of Malta, David. Yes. It's the cross. Actually, Gabriel, well, let's, that's a good one chance. I, I want to ask Gabriel what he thinks about that symbol. But Gabriel, just finish that thought. This is fascinating. Yes. The Tav is, uh, it's actually absolutely crucial. This is, um, I believe it, uh, Another thing to think about as you're uh, reassessing the words you thought you knew, uh, it also means, I believe, tavila. A tavila is a baptism. It's a initiation rite, a ritual. And think, and like we were saying, your foot is your right angle. It holds you upright. It gives you standing. So uh, TAV is a very, it's, it's a keystone. And one, just that uh, having a better grasp of uh, what it means and where it's been functionally applied is uh, enough to set a man's mind free. Uh, it has for me. So I, I want to gift that to everybody that Tav, it, it is the initiation because your two feet are stamped onto the paper. And now you are, um, you are uh, uh, baptized. You're initiated. Right. And this is, water. Yeah. Yeah, and this is also Tavistock. They Tavila, the stock, they've baptized the chattel. It, the, just really wrapping your head around a single syllable can just change your entire worldview. And it's just the beginning. It's we haven't even gone into the biology aspects. We're just talking about the, yeah, we're just talking about that one concept, the Tav. And David, abortion is illegal in Malta under all circumstances. There's no way for a legal abortion in Malta. Well, and it's interesting. This, this might, confuse people because the Vatican just came out, Pope, whatever, whichever Pope it is now. Um, he came out and he was in approval of Roe v. Wade, if I'm not mistaken, or maybe it wasn't him. Maybe it was just some, I saw some news where the Vatican was sort of celebrating it and people like, well, aren't those the bad guys? Well, it's, there's a whole level to this that I think we can always explore. But what do you think about that, Gabriel? Well, I've got to point out that, is Tav, Vatican. Yeah, Vat is just Tav backwards, and we're talking about a Hebrew letter. They yep. put things backwards to what other languages do. Yep. It's the foot of the conqueror, the Tav Akan, the conquerors. Uh, in both sides. Yes. Uh, yeah, there is so much in there. It is really... Uh, so we, we are of the impression that uh, the Unum Sanctum, the Papal Decree, 
has laid a um, regulatory capture over the entirety of two-dimensional paperwork. This is the Papa C. It is, uh, we are going the paper uh, C. into the paper C. And essentially, ecclesiastic law has claim over all of the paperwork. And this is why common law is the living word. It is your spoken word. And it is uh, the, the avenue that we're going to have to take to get out of that dominion claim on correspondence. Second hermetic principle, correspondence. So all correspondence, all of the papacy is claimed by the Vat Akan. And Gabriel, to push it further, uh, that's where the legal fiction of a straw man lives, which is the artificial person. It lives in two dimensions. It's on paper. That's your on paper identity. And by extension, everything you just just said, said we say, oh, that that guy looks good on paper. But in reality, like we say that in our vernacular. Exactly. And um, that by extension applies to the digital simulacra. Because these are screens, they're two-dimensional. It's the same principle. Right. And, and think Gabriel, about how everything is regulated through that. Yeah, hold on for a sec. Gabriel, when you, when you brought up Unum Sanctum, could you break that down? Um, I've spoken about this in the past really quickly. Pope Boniface, yeah. I forget the number, but he signed this papal bull, which is basically like an executive order. Um, and it holds claim over all the souls of the earth through the church, right? The Holy See. Do you what could you break down Unum Sanctum down? Because I think that's key here. It is key. And I'm going to I'm going to really have to summarize because I do have a ton to say about it. I will try to be brief and uh, concise. U.S. Unum Sanctum, the U.S. U.S. Isn't that something? The U.S. Unum Sanctum. Thank you, Chance. Thank you. You that might we could might drop it right there. (laughs) Thanks for coming out, ladies and gentlemen. (laughs) That was that was awesome. Thank you, Chance. So Unum Sanctum is, uh, it's two keys. It's an X, it's X marking the spot. It's the, uh, this is the pi row. Uh, This is, um, it is Is there. Pi row chi. Pi row chi. You got it. Yes. So that X marking the spot, the Unum Sanctum uh, gives preeminence to the spiritual realm over the material realm. And that is to say that uh, this, in, to uh, some degree, I agree, psychologically, our internal, the private side, your spiritual being is the source, uh, uh, is the, uh, what initiates your external experience. So mm-hmm. to some degree, there is a truth to the fact that the spiritual has preeminence over the material. Uh, but they're basically uh, making a land claim on anything and all things spiritual. And it is, uh, it's time to kind of set that free to give us all dominion over our own uh, spiritual experience. Um, would you, would it be accurate to say that they, cause you're right. I believe that too, that there's the, the world of the cause, which is the spirit, the yep. spire, the light. And then yep. there's the world of the effect, right? The effect of that light, which is the material, the physical. And when they have the two keys, they are saying in one symbolic sense, they have the keys to the knowledge of both domains. And in another sense, they have a gate locking the door from the average person with the need of a key to unlock the door. And that behind that door is their worldly power over that spiritual domain in all beings. So they see themselves as the vicar, 
right? The vicar of the of God, the stand-in representative uh, that is here to establish dominance on the earth, which is why the ancient uh, cults have been trying to establish world power through different means, and that they hold claim over your soul on behalf of God. So that's why they say, yeah, you are a spiritual being having a physical experience, but we control the spiritual key that gives you access to God. You need us to connect to God. You don't have a direct connection. And by that extension, that's why we've created this maritime system to keep you, your physical being under control, right? Because you're correct you to salvage. It says outside the church, there is no salvation. That is from Unum Sanctum. Salvation is salvage. Man. And this relates to the birth stuff that we haven't even broken into. We've just barely scratched the surface of what is really going on with the birth portal. Yes. So, uh, oh, there is so much here. There is so much here just in, in this part of our conversation. Keep the key. Uh, in Latin, uh, it, it's, uh, we, we fail to see that it is all the Qs. The letter Q is K, quanto, quando. All of those Q words are the uh, fundamentals of conveying information to one another. Who, when, where, why. Those are the building blocks of journalism. They actually put all the... Yep, yep. All of those are under the keep. Uh, They are kept Q and P. They're kept by the Pope. They're kept under lock and key by the the unum sanctum. Uh, In our language... Uh, you would replace that Q with W's. What, when, where, mm-hmm. you notice that pattern. So Q and W are very uh, tightly inter, uh, interrelated. Um, so I just wanted to just kind of throw that out for people to consider that the key and this, the, the, the Q and all of those questions, uh, they, from Latin to English, they transfer from uh, Q into W's. I just thought I would throw that in the in the mix because uh, that's that's fascinating. The Hebrew letter Kof Q O P H is the nineteenth letter. Oh man, the sun. Yeah, COVID nineteen. COVID nineteen. Nineteen is COVID. COVID. Nice, nice. Quovatus. Quovatus Domini. Um, that's a movie actually, Quo Vadis Domini. And that's a Latin term from the Roman empire. There, there has to be an association, but Gabriel, I really want to get your take on, and we can come back to what we're talking about. There's so much here, but I'm looking at in this series that I'm doing the Knights of Malta specifically, uh, being that I feel that they supplanted the Templars, um, and they're the official military order and intelligence apparatus of the Holy See. And they are also, their symbolism is all over the medical institutions. There's a major connection between the Vatican I'm I'm doing right now in chapter eight. It's kind of fresh in my mind. I'm revisiting the connection between the Vatican rat lines, what went down with the occult Nazis and the um, medical system, the Rockefellers, the whole creation of the entire thing. And the amount of very interesting historical characters, be they people that were directors of the CIA. In fact, all directors of the CIA are Knights of Malta um, and, and on and on. And also lead, leading into the pharmaceutical and the medical world, the connections are everywhere. And that symbol to me is where a great place to begin is. And what is that symbol? But 
four directional cardinal points pointing into the center of power in one rendering. And in the under, other rendering that Michael told me about, he said, well, just look at it from above. It's an unfolded pyramid seen from above. If you bring it into a 3D shape and you fold it down, it will be a pyramid. So what's a pyramidical symbol doing being the operating symbol for the Vatican intelligence apparatus known as the Knights of Malta? And it's also the symbol of our medical system that we're currently dealing with right now and is setting up a global medical scientific technocracy as we speak uh, that seems to be able to walk in. If everybody remembers how the pandemic started, all of these, it, it was a lot of females as well that walked in as the medical officers that were there to administer the guidelines for the public. And they were making the your politicians step aside so they could bring in the medical authority to come and tell you what the new rules are that are going to bypass your constitutional protections. Um, very interesting stuff going on with that. But the symbol of the Knights of Malta, you know what I'm talking about, the Maltese cross. Mm-hmm. What do you think about that? Oh, man. Well, uh, I just got to put this uh, very interesting echo into perspective. It was the day after JFK was assassinated that Doctor Who was born. And that is really something to consider that we're uh, experiencing a, a echo of that fact. Sovereignty dies, the king is dead, and now who? The WHO is about to uh, take the throne. The doctors know who. Doctor Who, you're saying the World Health Organization was formed the day after JFK? No, 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 the TV show Doctor Who. The show Doctor Who, the time war, the show Doctor Who, its its initiation point was the day after JFK died. No way. And I know that sounds like cutesy, wootsy, whatever coincidence stuff, but JFK died on a very sacred day to the Knights Templar. He died on the very first degree of Ophiuchus, the, uh, the 13th constellation, not a zodiac sign. It's at the 13th constellation. It's a very important date uh, for the Knights Templar. Like What's a that? ritual date. Yes. Ophiuchus is the serpent bearer. The serpent bearer, yes. Uh, so I do believe that Ophiuchus is the Baphomet. And mm-hmm. uh, with, uh, without going off on, on, a, on a rant, uh, you can definitely uh, count on the fact that this Ophiuchus, this 13th uh, uh, constellation, is the, uh, the Baphomet that the Knights Templar were worshipping all along. And uh, only recently have I discovered uh, that somebody, a staple of conspiracy culture, uh, may have been a lot more connected to the Baphomet than anybody ever thought. And it's kind of a scary thought, but Chance, should we bring up Behold the Pale Horse? I think that we have so much in the original intent that we're, um, that maybe we should go back in that direction. Okay. (laughs) Uh, Because like the the birth stuff, when we get into that more deeply, will be a lot going on. And uh, the bathroom. Sure, sure. But right before birth, right before the birth. And yeah, I want to what's great about this, folks. We could go in so many directions. I but know. Gabriel, what do you think about that symbol, though? The, the temp, you know the one I'm talking about with the Malta? Yeah. Yes. What do you think about that? Absolutely. The Maltese cross. Uh, it is, uh, it, it is uh, paramount. They are controlling all of the gates. 
That is the solstice and the equinox line. Right. Um, and it is your indicator that the ultimate cipher to the, to the code uh, is found in the heavens in uh, orientation. Now, like we started off with talking about the reckoning and the recrowning, uh, the, uh, the scene of Golgotha where, cross, where Christ is crucified is encoding the, uh, the arrangement of the zodiac. And um, uh, because the, the, it's on a hill, the hill is the circle. You're looking down from above. And there are three crosses on the hill of Golgotha. Those three crosses create your cardinal, mutable, and fixed crosses that right. generate a zodiac sign, uh, the, the uh, 12 uh, triangles. And so, uh, it, anyway, you're saying with the solstice and equinox, that's a big point because I'm looking, I was looking at some photographs and I found, uh, uh, one of the medals that was handed out to many of the top Nazi generals and whatnot. And it's the Maltese cross, it's gold. Okay. Maltese cross. And in the center is the swastika, right? And you might yeah. just think, oh and, oh, and behind it. So you've got your four points going out and then in the, uh, the other direction, the, what do you call that? The 45 degree directions coming out from the outside are the sword, the cross swords. So there's your chivalric sort of military symbolism. And in the middle is the, uh, the swastika, which is the rep- that's the black sun or the sun, right? So the sun sitting in the center of the solstice and the equinox with the swords, the Templar swords, and one of the main uh, statements or slogans of the Templars was, in this sign, we conquer. Bingo. In this sign, they're talking astrological. Yes. And when you, take, when you take that phrase in Latin, I actually have my book here. Maybe I'll look it up. Uh, you get the initials for HIV. <laughs> HIV. Oh, my God. It, it, yeah. In hockey. The thing that everybody's getting now. And let yes. me put a few more points on that symbol of the... Maltese cross, David. First of all, it's an X, and X has been—I mean, for, that's the Tav as well—is a symbol of that. But the X has long been an established symbol of the sun, so it's not that different than the sun behind the Jesuit logo or the Smithsonian or anything like that. But also, on top of that, the eight-pointed cross that the Templars and Maltese knights use is very similar to the Dharma wheel of Buddhism. And the eight-pointed star of Ishtar, the octogram, also known as the Tesseract that you see in churches and government buildings everywhere. And um, they show a common tradition, I think. And more importantly, that it goes back to the East. And in fact, it was world-spanning at one point that this uh, cult of the sun, the, the crown being the sun, the, one of the names for Buddha, who can be demonstrated to be Mercury and can be a solar figure just like Jesus can be demonstrated to be Mercury. One of the names for Buddha was Zaka, like X-A-C-A. And that symbolism shows up even in South America, that name, uh, Zaka. So basically there's a common underground stream and it's the cult of the X. It's the 10 and it's about say 10 ism. And Mm. (laughs) it's not an evil symbol in and of itself and the tradition that it came from was good but it was all about the uh, covert manipulation of people's knowledge about natural cycles and control of people through that and that's what made it satanic or adversarial to life and to nature but you know 
that's where it comes from in some respect that it's a, a far Eastern thing that's been moved into the West. And uh, there's so much to go into in that. And maybe in a future show, we can get Dylan on here and talk about the world spanning nature of this on the symbolic level. Just that symbol, like every bit of what we're talking about could be a whole show. Um, It's just nice to highlight these things and, and, and diving into this is just fascinating, but maybe let's go back unless you had any more comments on that, Gabriel, let's go back to this birthing concept because I think that whole birth to death, the, the legal thing. I think that's really important to make sure we get all that bits in that we wanted to talk about. Yes. Um, so uh, uh, I do have a graphic to kind of substantiate some of what Chance just put forward on uh, the, a- the aspect of Astaroth. And uh, sure. yep, uh, let's see if get it on the first try. But when are we going to talk about your favorite subject in placenta, Gabriel? Oh, well, it's amazing how uh, how they seems to be to me. The placenta is uh, is at the center of all uh, conversations, really. Um, So uh, I just thought I would share this uh, because you mentioned Astaroth. this was a, a project that I did on my channel a while back, uh, and it's kind of the gift that keeps on giving. But uh, I made a pretty profound discovery that um, Astaroth has a seal of uh, Solomon uh, in the Goetia. It is considered number twenty-nine, uh, the twenty-ninth seal of the uh, of the lesser seals of Solomon. Is this sign here? This Astaroth symbol. And what I discovered, and I uh, love to share, is the fact that the uh, Jesuit symbol is a perfect fit. It overlays with uh, a very convincing accuracy. (laughs) As you can see here, the Jesuit logo, the IHS, uh, overlaps very perfectly onto the Star of Astaroth. and so uh, what I've done is I've uh, inverted this symbol and taken it even to the next level because I was seeing this uh, triple tau cross uh, as also indicating the, uh, the uh, tree of life, the sim- sim- symbolic uh, mm. uh, shape that the tree of life will yield if you turn it upside down. So when you turn the IHS upside down, it spells the word she. You could add the T on the end, and it could spell the word shit. And you could think to yourself, okay, I cracked the code. These fucking Jesuits, they're pieces of shit. All right, we figured it all out. But there's more. There's more. There's always plus ultra. There's always more to penetrate. On the medical level, too, what has been created in our health systems is uh, basically, we'll just I'll just put it out there that what causes detriment to health is basically an overload of your own waste. Good point. The inability to eliminate waste and toxins is what creates the conditions for poor health in a primary sense. So, you know, they are loading everyone up with as much shit as possible. Uh Uh-huh. Very true. Very true. Also, I will point out uh, uh, cow shit is integral to the uh, harvesting of the sacred mushroom, which uh, could be an occulted communion uh, that they are preserving through this symbology. And uh, that's all good in its time and its place. Uh, So uh, one thing that I've come to believe, so Astaroth 
is uh, the Beast of Revelation, Revelation 13. And there's that 13 again. They sure do love that number. So I'm quite sure that this she is the she viper, because the, when you uh, expand on this tree of life symbol of this upside down cross, it's the upside down cross of St. Peter. It's the nautical cross in the Southern Hemisphere. And uh, it uh, corresponds very powerfully with the symbology of the tree of life and the tree of death, the two trees in the Garden of Eden. And so when you put that overlay, the tree of life and the tree of death onto the Jesuit logo, you find out you're looking at the she viper. And the she viper is mythologically uh, absolutely crucial uh, to understanding the psychology of uh, many cultures. Cross-culturally, uh, the psychology of the she viper is... Uh, is, uh, is uh, The mother of monsters. Yes, the mother of all monsters. Uh, and so I put this graphic together to kind of give context to uh, the heraldry of the Jesuits and uh, the conquering of uh, imperial expansionism in general. But uh, all of these symbols are so closely related, it's really a lot to unpack. But I just wanted to point out that your Starbucks logo, your standard Starbucks logo, you can look it up, and on the surface level, they'll kind of dance around the term. But the truth of the matter is, this symbol is not a freaking mermaid, folks. It's not a mermaid. It's not cute at all. This is the she-viper, whose mythological name is the Echidna, which Chance pointed out. That is the mother of all monsters. And if you look closely, see if I can... Also, the Echidna is related to things like the porcupine, which is all about animals that have like spines or needles that poke yes. and puncture you. So that's why it's related to the serpent and uh, why it's such a profound symbol for vampires of all types, whether yep. they're corporate vampires like Starbucks or, um, you know, the sorcerers of the medical establishment, what have you that are trying to inject you. Yep. So it's also on the uh, uh, Columbia, the, uh, you know, that's at the initiation point of all of our films. Um, and this dark goddess figure, she has so many names, and she's uh, accredited for uh, many aspects of birthing trauma. Um, she is, uh, relates to Lilith very uh, powerfully. Lilith is given um, dominion over stillbirths, stillborn children. Uh, also, Hakate, which I, I believe you had chance touched on this on that show that got so much lovely attention. Uh, the this stillbirth uh, Hakate she viper is, I believe, is all speaking to the placenta, and it is the placenta that so Hakate it suffocates the child. If a child is caught up in the umbilical cord, the child will be stillborn. And they will blame, back in the day, they used to just say, ah, Lilith, Lilith got your baby, sorry. And, you know, they needed a, a reasonable explanation. So Lilith has acquired so many generations, uncounted generations of psychic, spiritual animosity and blame for uh, stillbirths, abortions, and uh, children, the suffering of children. And and I just want to say they have pressed that pressure point. They have hit us uh, right where it hurts because they just suff Hakate suffocated 
all of our children for two years. They got our kids wearing these masks. They're suffocating the kids and they are hitting on a primal pressure point in our psyche that is uh, very difficult to uh, fully encapsulate the impact of such a simple spell. That's brilliant. That's brilliant. And you're now you're thinking about this as a ritual, a goddess ritual. Um, and we're getting into that serpent symbolism. When you look at the needle of that's used for a vaccine, it was actually, you can look this up. I was reading a medical journal about this from the, I think it was the New England Journal of Medicine, just sort of the history of why they chose that particular device and the needle point with the slight tip cut so that you have the hole that makes it puncture and inject more efficiently is actually been adopted after a snake fang, a fang of a snake, because that's how they inject their poison into their victim. So it has to be effective at the delivery, right? So, Mm -hmm. and of course that is not any proof of uh, anything negative with vaccines in itself, but just on the symbolic level. And if you're talking about the ritual of the suffocation, the covering of the identity, the fact that even children suffer psychologically in their development from not being able to see facial expressions and interact, you know, you're killing the empathy by doing that at a very impressionable age. Um, And then the fact now that they're trying to get zero to five-year-olds approved for these death jabs um, and to get mothers to voluntarily bring their child for the greater good in this sort of ritual sacrifice to the medical cult to say, Hey, we trust you. You take care of my child. Um, and one thing that's really interesting about this goddess cult is that there's an idea that the, this, the female has the, is the giver of life. And therefore she has the right to take life away from her own offspring if she wants, right? There are even many animals in the wild who, if that child is deformed, the female will actually consume that infant to make sure that it doesn't proliferate. Um, So they look at this in a twisted way as we've already conquered the planet. We gave you law. We gave you civilization. We gave you everything. We gave you all your Hollywood. We gave you all your Pepsi Cokes and McDonald's and all your uh, sex, drugs, and rock and roll. And therefore, we can take it away from you if we want. And if there's too many of you, or you're rebelling against our view of the natural order, then we have a right to call back the souls that we don't want on the grand chessboard. And so, but we, they have to do it in a way where it becomes a part, the, the sacrificial animal has to be willing, the, the, the virgin must be willing to go into the flames. And that's how they see it. So the parents, even though it's through a hex, even though it's through deception, um, which is in itself a violation, they don't see it like that. They say, oh, well, you you brought them in. You trusted us. You did. That's, that was an act that you did. But in the end, you're going to do it whether you like it or not, because we told you to do it because we own you and we own the world that you're claiming you're to be free in. That I'm saying, I'm not saying that's truth. This is how they think. That's their belief. And it goes back to the way these ancient cults operated. Uh, David, will you bring up uh, my screen here? So this is Vatica, the Etruscan goddess of the underworld. Very much in line with all these other goddess figures Gabriel just brought out. This is more of a polite version of her, but even this crown relates to what Gabriel was saying before about Cybele and the fortress crown Rhea, the consort of Cronus, also was the goddess of fortresses 
uh, just means strong. Fortis is Latin for strong. But here's another picture of Vatica, the Etruscan goddess of the underworld. Do you think that Etruscans and their Hathor-like uh, goddess here, Vatica, maybe continued on to create the Vatican? The Maybe this is the... The Vatican is like the sanctuary of Vatica. Um, and they take the authority over the world through their goddess, which is also Hathor in ancient Egypt. Uh, there's a lot to it. She was about healing, <laughs> dance and music and all kinds of things that they've uh, uh, created an authority structure over and control over. So, well, they would have appropriated it, right? They would have appropriated because right. they remember Rome conquered the world, right? So they would have appropriated from the cultures, the symbol, the symbolism, the knowledge, and then brought it back. That's how they, you know, they created all of the stuff is they appropriated it from other civilizations. And then if you think about this, just being a female goddess symbol, and you look at all these guys are eunuchs dressed in women's clothing in the Vatican, um, who are they really worshiping? Right. That was, yeah, that's the interesting question. Now we can bring this down, but speaking of appropriation, I think I have a way to connect us to what I wanted to get into specifically about the birth process that is so important. So you showed the IHS, which is meant to be a monogram for Jesus, right? IHS, that's from the Greek letters, Iota, Eta, Sigma. But that was actually a corruption or an erroneous interpretation of Bacchus, whose monogram was Upsilon, Eta, Sigma. And you add the U.S., the Latin termination to this Upsilon Eta Sigma, and you get Jesus. Now, whenever you transliterate Bacchus's name, this Upsilon Eta Sigma, it comes out in, as Hughes. Hughes. So we are called Hugh Mans. We are Hughes Man, basically owned by this sort of character that they've appropriated and turned into Jesus in the Roman Vatican tradition. But what's important about this word hue, <laughs> there's a lot you could go, you could, there's a lot you could explore about the symbolism of it, but it's about cutting. It's about cutting you off from your source artificially and then becoming the intermediary to act as your salvator, your salvation, salvator word also referring to serpents. And this happens right at the beginning and this has probably been going on since way before their hospitals, but the baby comes out, baby comes out. Delivery is defined as legally delivery of baby and all of its membranes and afterbirth materials. But the first thing that happens when the baby comes out is they clamp the cord and cut the cord. All right. And then they give you the birth date, which is put on your birth certificate to establish the Creation of this artificial personhood that is your federal citizenship. So the truth about where you come from is that you're not, you weren't, you didn't come into existence on your birthday. All right. There's 40 weeks in the womb from fertilization to the delivery. All right. So the fact that you're delivered in incomplete state means it's an abortion. Uh, there's so much about this. It's like maybe a little difficult to put into short terms, but Gabriel will help me with you anything I missed. Terms, right? In legal terms. So the, right. the fertilization, the first cell of your origin, and this is your godly origin because only God or nature decides whether or not fertilization happens. No man knows the hour. 
you cannot, no scribe can tell you the exact minute uh, or, or hour that fertilization happened. You know, it either does or doesn't happen. This is nature's role. This is your origin, godly origin, right? So this beginning cell that you start out as is called a zygote. The goat is the Aries. It's the ram. It's the first of the sky clock. Z-Y, they're the last letters of the English alphabet. This is your alpha and omega point, the zygote. Um, <laughs> so the birth certificate, the birth certificate is the creation of a trust in basically is for the matter that was cut off you. And there's a lot, we're just talking about the legal side of it, but the placenta, which means cake in Greek, it's your birthday cake, is your inheritance, right? It's like your coat of many colors, biblically speaking. It has all this information genetically from your ancestry that it's trying to impart to you as the baby. Uh, it's got all this blood. It's got all this nutrient material that when you cut it off early, you actually retard the development of the baby in many ways. And this is a big issue on the biological level. Um, <laughs> so this placenta is you, 100% you in terms of, and all the afterbirth, in terms of your genetics. It shares your DNA exactly. You can consider it like the Gemini because Taurus comes and that's the mother. Taurus gives birth to the twins, Gemini, and then cancer comes, which is the crab. And they've put this into the sky clock symbolism. It's the pincers. It cuts. You get cut off from basically your divine twin or your holy guardian angel uh, that the placenta is while you're, while you're in the womb. It's like your protector. It's, it's the ship you came in on and in, yeah. in all the symbolic senses. So the real citizenship. Their citizenship is a replacement for them taking away your actual ship, the ship that you came in on. Uh, it literally, the citizenship is the creation of a decedent estate and administration of that state by the state or administration of that decedent estate. It's a tr your citizenship is a trust uh, in an artificial personhood sense for the other you that they create, the double you. <laughs> yes. yes. Uh, yeah. So, so cancer real quick there chance, just, yeah. I'm sorry, Gabriel, as you're talking right, as you led into that and it fits beautifully, you're talking about the Vatican and the IHS, the Hughes, sorry, which is Bacchus is originally from Bacchus, which was transliterated Hughes. They're hewing you at this point. Right. Yep. But the, the anagram is IHS, correct? That's what it was yep. corrupted into to represent Jesus. Yeah, it wasn't right. originally. Uh, it was Upsilon Eta Sigma, but they changed it to Iota Eta Sigma, probably right. just a corruption of language. And that's what the Jesuits still use today, right? IHS. Okay. Just, I remembered something. I'm pretty sure it's relevant. Um, go look into this company. IHS Market. Okay. Wow. And let's just go. This is. So IHS Market Limited was an information services provider that completed a, in, a merger with S&P Global in 2022. So recently they were merged. They're headquartered in London. It was formed in 2016 with the merger of IHS Inc. So their ISS, IHS Inc. was an information services pro, uh, provider. Okay. Mm. And there's a whole history here, but they're, you know, let me just go down. Where was that bit? 
It was originally founded in 1959 as an information handling services to provide information for aerospace engineers through microfilm databases. And, um, but just, I'm telling you, go through, look, Cambridge Energy Research Associates shows up, Global Insight, right? Um, there's all these connections and then market, right? The merger, the acquisitions, right? Just start getting into this and the connection to the Vatican Bank and the Lucius Trust. And there might be some mind explosions there for you. There, I'm already having my mind exploded. Can you go back to the part where it says between uh, 1700 and 1800s? Chance, this is, we're going to have to get Dylan in on this. Dylan just dropped a little hint on Crow's show talking about the possibility of the turning of an age uh, between 17 and 1800s. And uh, I just the actual got a, beginning of Aquarius. Yeah. The actual beginning was way back then. I just got to point this out, guys. This is, this is wildly uh, entertaining for me. Uh, 18 is the moon card. 17 is the sun card. You put the, I'm sorry, 18 is the moon card. 17 is the star card. You put the moon and the star together and you get the, the Islam, the shape for Islam. That is the moon star. It's the monster. That in, they are marking it, the market, they are marking it to hail back to that time period. It's very interesting. And then, and uh, I mean, just so many segues, but even the the history of the Holy See branched out from, remember where these monotheistic religions came from, they apparently came from different tribes that grew, you know, Judaism, um, Islam, and then Christianity is the new kid on the block, right? Allegedly. And yet they all come from the original canon of knowledge that was dispersed. And yet these three religions are part of our history of warfare like you can't believe and there's a whole school that believes that the vatican uh created islam today and the muslim brotherhood the connections and there's an east what they call we did a whole show on unslaved anybody that's on unslaved go look up the eastern illuminati program uh go check that out it's a very interesting connection to these different bloodlines some came to the west some moved to the east they all had the different pieces of the knowledge and then it was a convergence and that that is the is the triple crown, those religious institutions. Um, and again, they're corrupted forms of the original religious traditions that are there. We're not talking about that. These are the corruptions of that. And uh, then you look at the connection between the Vatican, the CIA, these intelligence apparatuses and the continuation of wars uh, in the Middle East that started back with the Crusades and you get into the Gulf War, invasions of Iraq and Afghanistan, the plundering of minerals and knowledge and history. And uh, now once they've conquered and destroyed those places back to the Stone Age um, under that rule, they are now bringing them over into the West because they want to basically do the same thing to the Western culture so that they can get this homogenous one world system under one world religion. And who do you think is going to sit at the top of that? Yeah. <laughs> Just a thought. Yeah. There's so much there. Um, it's not something we can chase down right now, but maybe no, in the future I'll have the in. So maybe, where should we where should we zip to, Chance? Well, I was gonna say maybe I'll have the information in a future date, but uh I'm on the trail of the likelihood that Muhammad is Baphomet. That's yeah, corruption of the, the Baphomet word. So that's uh, another that's a side tangent. Think about the Templars though and their connection to the Mohammedists in the 
Crusades. Were they playing both sides? Good question. But legal definition, Gabriel brought up monster, the legal definition of monster to take us back to where we were. An animal which has a confirmation contrary to the order of nature. An animal, all right? So they just use the word animal. Next sentence. A monster, although born of a woman in lawful wedlock, cannot inherit. Legal definition of monster. An animal which has a confirmation contrary to the order of nature. A monster, although born of a woman in lawful wedlock, cannot inherit. So, they're telling you right there, in the legalese, that the abortion is a monster. All right? <laughs> it's not, and it's an animal. They're, they're telling you that you're classified as an animal. And that there's other substantiation to that, to what I just claimed, that in the Chattel. legal system, um, those who identify as the corporate person, federal citizenship, are considered animals, or even livestock, to the... Uh, to the federal government or the corporation. So there's that. Well, to add to that chance, I'm glad you brought it up. These people, what are they, what are they obsessed with? What do we know? The elite Royals, aristocrats, these, what do you think they're obsessed with? They're obsessed with the preservation of the bloodlines, right? Their bloodlines. Um, and they, I gotta go let my dog in. I'll be right back guys. Yeah, sure. They believe that their bloodlines have been preserved all the way back to the pharaohs and before. That's their belief. So they've done a very meticulous job. I mean, think about the royals and the elites of ancient times. You marry in strategically to certain family lines, right? And then if a royal or an elite married a commoner, that child was a bastard. They were, it was abandoned because it wouldn't have been considered royal blood or to be able to be eligible to take over the crown, right? From the king. So um, they were obsessed with preserving the bloodlines. Go just read Fritz Springmeier's Bloodlines of the Illuminati and show the history of the lineages. Still a great book to read for that. And um, and I was thinking about, as Chance was talking about, the legal definition of monster. I've heard this gone into before by others, that they consider us as the common man, right? The we, the people, as being monsters because we are intermixed. We are interbred and we don't have the pure bloodline genetic lineage. We've been cut off from our filiogenetic memory and we've been mixed on purpose over time as a part of a chimeric alchemical process to alchemically alter humanity so that we are a slave species of the gods, the perfect slave species, which goes all the way back. So if they see us as being monsters simply just on the basis of our genetics being mixed as races and peoples, as whereas they look at themselves as the pure ones, that's how they got their L eat status of being the L's, the rulers, the archons. They have the the divine right to rule comes from that red carpet that they walk on when they get off the airplane. It's the red carpet, meaning the bloodline. We are the diviners. We are the vicars because of our purity in our blood. And you are not. And even though we've kind of helped make that happen, uh, it doesn't matter because you're the monsters and we are the angels. And so we are the ones to rule you and you have no rights to own property in our system. So we own the property. And what is Klaus Schwab telling us openly now? In the new Great Reset, you will own nothing and be happy. Technically, that's already the case. Yes, it is. You nailed it. <laughs> Okay, so I'm just going to run through a couple more of the points I want to make about 
the placenta afterbirth part of the birth process. And then I'm sure Gabriel will have more to add to it. I really think this is the crux of the whole matter and that there's even a spiritual side to this, which we're not even going into yet. Maybe we will, but on the biological side, it's important. So, all right. I already said placenta means cake. That's your birthday cake. And that it's the decedent. It's turned into the decedent estate. It's probably shipped off. Um, and some portion of that DNA material is kept on file. Uh, there are a lot of claims that it's literally kept on, on file on, on record. Uh, there's the biological. Go ahead, Gabe. I just got to insert SESTA. It's the SESTA. SESTA means basket. It's the basket Moses floated down the river on. It's the sister. It's your other half. And it is your ancestors. It's a very important word to know the meaning of SESTA. Uh, I'll just float that while we're, while we're rapping about it. It's Sesta, that basket, yeah. that woven basket you came here on. It's your birthright. It's your proof of your connection to the ancestors. Yep, it is. <laughs> the basket symbolism is so crucial. Even the red carpet could be seen as a, a placenta symbol as well. Ooh. Because I think they call it, oh, why would the word placenta mean cake in Greek? How come in so many cultures, instead of discarding it and treating it as medical waste, although that's not really what happens, the hospitals sell it to corporations. There's an entire they make drugs out of it. And not just human fetuses that are fully aborted, but the afterbirth material being used for regenerative and stem cell type therapies. Now we're getting into the, this is human trafficking, David. This is human trafficking. This is even, it. If, even if the uh, fetus is dead or aborted, or even if it's just a portion, portion, the membranes, this is the sacrifice of the firstborn. All right. So a word for the ram or the Aries, which is the lamb of God is the Amon. Uh, you can get it in names like Zeus Amon or Jupiter Amon. has to do with the ram's horns. The membrane that surrounds the embryo is the amnion. It's called the amnion. All right. So the amniotic fluid. And the amniotic fluid fills the amnion. Correct. Correct. That's, that's the old name for Jesus also by, or lamb, amnion. Yeah. Go ahead. Sorry, Chance. I'm so excited. This is so crucial. It's such good, juicy stuff. This is juicy stuff for sure. But like literally sacrifice of the firstborn in a sense, it's um, let's get into, let me quote the Bible real quick. All right. Luke chapter five, verses 30 to 32. But the scribes and Pharisees murmured against his disciples saying, why do ye eat and drink with publicans and sinners? And Jesus answering said unto them, they that are whole need not a physician but they that are sick. Okay. They that are sick, uh, man, right there. It tells you so much. A publican, by the way, is a word, uh, according to the concordances that means a Jewish tax collector. So when you set up your whole federal citizenship, you become a publican, you become your own tax collector for Rome. You fill out the paperwork and submit it to them. They who are whole do not need a physician. Well, if you are delivered whole, and nature is allowed to run its course. Uh, there's a strong reason to believe that aspects of your inheritance biologically, genetically are cut off from you. Your connection to ancestral information, intuition, uh, strengths, uh, resistances to disease. You know, what is, man, what is the, how do diseases, how do you get a disease? 
disease, disease, which is a legal term too, is contracted. It's contract. This is that is put in place whenever you are birthed into this medical system. They that are whole need not a physician, but they that are sick. Sick, like I said before, is the same root as the words for sickle, scalpel. I mean, it's the, this is the scapegoat. Separated, yes. I want to throw one more biblical verse on here because you've primed it. Uh, It is not what goes in a man's mouth that defiles him, but what comes out that defiles a man. And this is uh, leads us into a very uh, powerful theory that Chance and I have been developing, and that is the fact that we believe that the best way to instill the placenta, the full estate that you came in here with, all of the equipment, the luggage, the equipaje, the best way to instill that is for the mother to consume the placenta. And that will in give gift the child with the full immunity, all of the, uh, the T cells, and they will develop on a level that is unappreciated, fully. Through the breast milk. Through breast milk. Initiate it. Initiate it. If you want to be initiated, mom yeah, you were first initiated through the breast milk. Yes. And is it interesting right now during this whole time of crisis and insanity, there's a shortage of uh, the Baby artificial formula. breast milk, right? Yes. The formula. No accident. Right? No accident. No accident. Yes. People have been at a point where women have more trouble actually producing milk today than before. Right. Uh, we're having fertilization issues, and I think that's going to get even worse after these jabs. But mm-hmm. it was all done under this. That th- What we're trying to really get to here for people that are maybe confused is that they view the process of what they're doing as being a legal process, right? They, they look at it like that. They're, this process of taking the unwanted souls back to them is a legal process. Yep. It's a castration. You're corrected. Legal system is to correct you, which is the same as salvation. Which is to be differentiated from the word lawful. Lawful and legal. Real law. Yeah. Yeah. Very big point. So back to this idea of wholeness. I mean, there's even reason to believe that uh, a long-term practice in your bloodline of placentophagy is what you'd call it, which is observable in all mammals. This is not like... I know it sounds crazy, especially to consider consuming it. And there are ways to do it that are less, you know, you don't have to make a placenta casserole. You can encapsulate it and take it like pills. Uh, but this is something that is common to many, many indigenous cultures and tribes throughout the earth. And reason to believe that the bloodline families that we're concerned with here have been doing this for a long time. And that to some degree, this practice over generations further develops psychic abilities. Uh, and other forms of powers that the modern man seems to have been cut off from. So this is about wholeness. Are you holy or are you at fault? At fault means to be divided. And fault is a division. All right. Fault line. Fault line. We're talking about legal sorcery, the bar association. Bar is Saturn who holds the sickle. Bar is a hyphen. A bar is a hyphen. Okay. It's the terminal point. It's term termination, which is a word for the abortion. Um, other words for bar or Saturn would be 
Cronus, which comes from the word corn. Uh, Capricorn, which is the sign ruled by Saturn, is the goat seed etymologically. Corn means seed. Corn is where we get Cronus. Uh, Capri, (laughs) Cabra, that's the goat. So we're talking about the zygote is the Capricorn, the goat seed. The hyphen is the bond, right? A hyphen is a bond between one point and another point. We're talking about becoming bondsmen. <laughs> Bondsmen means slaves or indentured servants. We're in bond, but the bond age, I think, is the time in the womb. And by creating this artificial t- cut in your timeline and giving you this origin point that the state hands to you in the form of the birth certificate, you're cut off from the godly origin conceptually <laughs> in the conception point, if you will. It may sound really far out, but there's like extreme spiritual significance to this. Bar also means corn or kernel in Hebrew. Bar means son, like your son uh, that you have in Aramaic as well. So this is all about a ritual of the sacrifice of the firstborn son with this bar, this hyphen, this cutting of the cord before it naturally should fall off. After it would transmit all of its nutrients and life force to the baby. Yes. The, in just a quick point, the technically the, the wall comes first, the placental wall. That's your wall let, the little wall. Every time you pull your ID out to give to the cop, you're doing a birth ritual. You're pulling out this uh, graven image of yourself, uh, giving birth to that false identity. Uh, but the wall comes first uh, in, in the uh, developmental process. Uh, and that's actually and, after the zygote. The zygote forms in fertilization, and that's the real, like, godly origin. Right. But then conception is when it's implanted into the uterine wall. Right. Uh, as so, defined by Roe v. Wade, actually. That was when that yeah. was legally defined, conception, in yeah. 1973. So this is where the first becomes last, the last becomes first. Because the wall is the creates the beth, the house, the home, the shield, uh, and then in the... And the uh, when the water breaks, uh, the living man come or person or no living human comes out, and then the wall comes last. The placenta it comes after. It's the afterbirth. So it has the alpha and the omega encoded in it. And uh, after learning about this, I went through and I reread uh, my my Genesis. Specifically, I went through the Septuagint. Uh, predating that uh, the uh, KJV, and with all of these the aspects of birth ritual as in the forefront of my mind as I read it, and the Septuagint takes on a whole new light. If you keep these truths in your mind, I think of them as decoder glasses. I'm reading the Septuagint, and every line I'm keeping in the forefront of my mind the significance of birth ritual and the placenta. And maybe the fact that there once was a, uh, we'll just say, a race of people who were passing on the birthright uh, and the mothers were maybe consuming the placenta consistently from one generation to the next. And just think of the connectivity of the psychic potential of a mass collective of people who would uh, eat the ancestral tree, the tree of life. At every birthing, uh, it's quite profound. And now I'm going to throw things really into a really weird space, and then I got to go to the bathroom real quick. Pull up the screen share, David. The, and then Gabriel, it, keep talking. Yeah, 
I have heard a rumor that the cult of Scientology, that they eat the placenta. And this is profound speculation, but theoretically they could be developing a race of superhumans with a hive mind uh, connectivity that we would never see coming. Uh, That is really uh, speculative. It's really far out, but it is, it is the Mormon church that venerates that beehive, the queen bee keeping a, uh, the the queen bee uh, uh, keeping a, a placental transmission lineage uh, over a very long time, and uh, the possibility of clone wars are building and building into uh, a little closer to reality than I'm comfortable with. But there's a lot to think about the fact that covertly there could be an entire group of people with many generation of placental instillment uh, going back further than I can substantiate. But that is something to think about. Well, at the very least, this harkens back to this ancient practice and this belief system and some of these religions and cults and whatnot. And we know Mormonism and, you know, all these guys, the Scientologists, they're all riddled with Masons and, you know, it's all offspring of the Vatican, in my opinion, that same ideology. And they're just little control experiments. Um, And there's that knowledge that's there that, there's something to a lot of this. And um, at the very least, guys, anybody listen to this that's like, this is crazy. Hey, this is the kind of stuff that the people that run the planet believe in. And so um, you got to wonder how they were able to achieve this level of success over such a long period of time. And it has to do with the preservation of A, their bloodline, and as you're saying, the genetic qualities, um, and also B, the knowledge that they've been able to continually keep amongst themselves um, and use for the, for their project of essentially achieving dominion. That's that word dominion. Even that's another great word legally to dissect, but Gabriel, you take a break if you need it. Um, We'll be, we'll be here. We'll try to go maybe another, I I can go another 30 minutes so we can wrap up all these points, but yeah, that's about where I'm at too. I I want to put, uh, I want to put dominion together. Is it the yes. dome? Is it the union to the dome? Is the dome the placenta? Is there a unification of you to the dome, your original uh, domicile? Just a thought. Just a thought. <laughs> this is encoded in so many words. Uh, we could, I, it's it's fascinating. It's fascinating, and it uh, really does enrich what you thought you knew to a right. whole new depth and degree. So. Uh, just got to throw that out there. When I hear Dominion, I'm always like, oh, yeah, I know about Dominion. <laughs> well, a lot of banks are named Dominion. That's uh, a legal term. It, the crown is the Dominion of the crown. Canada is a is under the Dominion of the crown of Britain. Um, that word is everywhere. But so, Chance, you, yeah, I was going to say one thing I wanted to maybe flesh out just a a little more was what you brought up about the human trafficking concept, because I've covered this from a few different angles um, where of course you have the actual, like the actual human trafficking, the underground tunnel systems, the, all the horrible things, but there's another form of human trafficking, which is that 
birth death process, the legal fiction, that's a sort of trafficking of of all of us. And then this process that we're describing, even getting into some of the freaky areas such as like organ, organ harvesting, uh, the blood rituals and all of that, it's, it's essentially, and then we were saying legally they're defining humans as animals and monsters and all of this chattel. Um, <laughs> what's going on with that? You think? What is going on with that? Well, I'll, let me back up to that question. Um, Gabriel's quick, like flash. You didn't even miss anything, well done, buddy. Man. I want to just point out one more little tidbit in the etymology that is fascinating here that, um, gosh, we've done shows on this where we go so deep into symbolism in ancient art and, uh, uh, mythologies that seems to reflect the idea of the placenta, but, and, and this idea of everything we're talking about in this last segment, we're talking about the classified information. All right. So let me explain what I mean there. What is the navel? The navel is the belly button where the umbilicus is cut, right? The navel is also etymologically linked to the same word, root word, is where we get noble. The nobles are the navel tradition. In Latin, uh, navy, first of all, we know navy refers to ships, right? Navy refers to ships. In Latin, the word for uh, like different categories of seafaring vessels, they were called classes, classes. So we're talking about right now with this idea of the maritime sorcery of, of the legal system and also with probably this first ship that you come in on that you exchange for your citizenship, the classified tradition. You know, it's encoded in all of the classics, the classical literature, classical art. Um, the classic is the naval tradition and uh, like these puns are there for a reason. Even the word uh, nobles refers to, and I learned this from Pierre Sabak's work, but it refers to those who are born of a boat, born of a boat, as in they're claiming some sort of divine right of kingship or a lineage that is of descent from the gods. Uh, that maybe they're like, he seems to postulate that there are possibly like human hybrids with some for, force of extraterrestrials that come in on the flying saucer. But what does a flying saucer look like? Is a big disc. A saucer is a vessel. Um, looks like a plate, like could be placenta symbolism there as well. It could just be that this is a clever disguising of a very simple but ancient tradition of the placenta phagy and that they're not only consuming from their own uh, children's births but also like from all the rest of their their chattel and getting everybody's inheritance basically and cutting everyone else off from it through the belief that that's something gross or it's medical waste or or whatever on a spiritual level we know that the life force energy, I, I hope we know this, <laughs> that the life force energy that comprises our physical being is what call, it's called prana, it's called ether, it's called orgone energy, whatever you want to call it. But Jeez. as ether, in the concept of ether, uh, ether is basically the medium that everything vibrates out of to come into existence. The magic of ether in terms of like 
if it's true conceptually and it seems to be demonstrable and people have dem- demonstrated it is not really disproven the way that materialist science says it is that if there was a medium that was the all pervasive everything everywhere all at once uh like rice calls one of his books ether god and devil he's referring to the concept that humans have of god as being this web of spirit that interconnects all things uh and cannot be divided in any sense so if if there is this concept of ether and it cannot be divided other uh, if it's the all that means it can't be divided for it to have the quality of being the all pervasive medium that everything is interconnected through that means you cannot cut a piece of ether out of something and create a gap in the ether you cannot damn the flow of ether you cannot there is there's no division in this concept the ether exists beyond that it is uh it is exists in a dimension before there is a possibility of of division or separateness and that that ether thus is the what constitutes your physical body it's not just what fills up your body vessel in the sense of prana or chi but it's what creates your body vessel and if it's indivisible that means that what is inside you or what creates you what you come from is Literally the all. So your entirety, your being, well, when they say the universe is inside you, what is, it's true on a, on an ether concept that the all, the information of everything that ever was and ever will be all at once is also what expresses as you. The human is the template for the universe in a very true sense. And all life is fractally self-similar uh, across scales and demonstrates this pattern the pattern of ether the pat patter ju potter you know the father the father is the pattern it is the the rock the stone the unchanging thing so it, where i'm getting at it with this is that if we have the belief or seem to have had experiences in our life that we are spiritual and that we're that beyond just the body we can have experiences in what we call the realm of spirit, but as you and I discussed, David, perhaps there's not really a division or separation between spirit and material. Uh, that's where I'm at. But we know that our existence and what we are goes on beyond the death of the physical body, or that's what we probably believe if we've gone beyond materialism. Then, well, and we—I'll just add an anecdote because I agree with you. Um, there's a limitation to what we can actually physically see and experience. And this is where materialism goes wrong. You can't measure it under microscope. There's a limit to our ability to see all of nature and the material and the spiritual. So that's why the, the mind wants to separate those two places. It makes sense logically to do that. But if you go deeper, it's more, I think it's better to understand it as a holistic interconnected thing than two separate things. There's heaven, there's earth, there's hell, there's middle planes, there's up and down and everything's happening in some other dimension somewhere. No, no, it's all happening, but it's all happening. All, the all interconnected. That's a different way to look at it. That's just how I think about it. Absolutely, man. And the Egyptians had their concept of Amun-Ra, which was the sun during the height of its power. Amun. And we're talking about the, the Lamb of God, the Ram, the Amnion. Amun's other moniker was the hidden one because uh, at that point, the sun is like blinding. It conceals things. And also there's no shadows when the sun is at high noon, the hidden one. So we already have a connection between the word Amon or where we get amen with uh, the hidden, what is hidden. 
We're talking about the amnion. We're talking about this, this placenta thing is hidden from us. And it's also concealed within the womb. It's not something you can see until it is born. So what I'm getting at with this is if we as living beings accept that we are spiritual entities and that our, our life force is interconnected with the cosmos and that even people that have departed from their bodies, some of us maybe have had connections or communications with departed loved ones or family members. What about this other you that literally shares your DNA that was your protector and guardian angel? Uh, this is where I'm getting into speculation, but this other being that we call placenta has your exact same DNA and protected you all through your gestation period from fertilization to delivery. What if the birth trauma of it being cut off, left to die, dishonored, thrown into a medical toxic waste bag, and put on file with the Vatican part of it and other parts of it sold to medical corporations for experiments and other parts possibly shipped off to weird elite parties where they consume it or use it for some kind of life extension uh, technology, any of those possibilities. What happens to your spirit whenever you go through trauma? Mm. It degrades your connection to spirit. It causes repetitive experiences of uh, problems that reflect the nature of your trauma as a way for you to try to wake up to what was the original trauma and become whole again and not be compartmentalized and fractured and fragmented and schizoid schismed by the trauma. So in a very possible sense, this original birth trauma of the dis dishonoring of your divine twin could very well create the dynamic of the devil on your shoulder, the harsh inner critic, the voice in your head that tells you how terrible you are or discourages you or just plain. Uh, do you get where I'm going with this? I believe that just on the very sense of becoming mentally aware of your divine origin, that you exist before that cut, getting in front of the cut as a researcher on this topic, Kurt Kallenbach says, that uh, that undoes the trauma in and of itself. Maybe even if you want to go this far, people listening, do some sort of ceremonial, um, you know, personal ritual to call to that spirit. What I consider to be your holy guardian, guardian angel, possibly, that are spoken about in many mystery traditions. It could be that we all have a holy guardian angel because we started out biologically with one and that the spirit of that other life form, the other you, your twin, continues to exist, continues to envelop you the way that it did in the womb, but just in a spiritual sense. And this is just anecdotal, but when I made this connection and I reconnected in my mind and in my spirit to this other part of me that was dishonored and discarded and traumatized, I felt a shift in my life. I felt a change. The voices in my head, if you will, became way more encouraging became way more helpful. Uh, synchronicity improved in my life. There's, it's subjective, but I don't see the harm in it as a thought experiment or a personal ceremony to em embrace and reconnect to this part of ourselves that has been so thoroughly occulted from us and also traumatized and, and uh, damaged. Just my thought. I mean, this could be where the idea of guardian angel comes from uh, in, a, in an original sense. That's fascinating. I, that's, I've never heard that before. Um, and you know what? I think it's my own original idea. Even or at if, least 
discovered yeah. something that has been hidden. Right. But even if it's not literally the fa- the truth, and I'm, I have no reason to doubt it, but even if it isn't, what does it lead you to? It leads you to expressing gratitude. It leads you to healing past trauma and addressing past wounds. It leads you to um, having much more of a respect for the process of life. It leads you to understand that, you know, the act of prayer, what is that? Everybody that worships a different God or has a different religion might see it a different way. But we're all praying in some way, shape or form, even those atheists out there that just talk to themselves or whatever. Um, you know, there's an act of you communicating and communing with yourself and with nature and with what we call God or your guardians or whatever. Um, so however we want to, whatever, what I'm trying to say, because everybody's going to have their definition of what you just said, Chance, it kind of doesn't matter what the narrative is, what the mythos is, what the story is. I mean, I want to know what the literal truth of it is, but I'm saying the end result ends up being that we have much more, we learn to have much more respect for who we are. And even all this dark negative stuff we've spoken about in this show, it's not to make you think it's hopeless and evils won the day and your own chattel slave monsters and all this. We're trying to show you the antithesis of what you really are so that you can know what you really are. You can't know a thing until you know it's opposite. So by studying evil and studying how this works and this tyranny and this corruption, if you know how to look at it correctly, you're actually studying yourself. You're actually studying the good. So when they say you're a slave, we own you, you're on our farm, you'll do as you're told, here's all the rules. That is them challenging you, whether they know it or not, for you to fully awaken and manifest what you really are so that you can say the most sacred word on this planet, which is the word no. And you need to have the courage to back up behind that word no and believe it and say, just like Neo, no, I'm not, I'm not playing your game and you have no power over me. And that act of letting go of that trauma and that pain and that darkness is the true salvation process, in my opinion. However, people want to conceptualize it, it ends up being the same in the end. So I think that's brilliant, Chance. I'll just expand on that real briefly that reality is the totality of all that exists. Truth is reality. We can agree on that. A lie is simply defined as the omission of the full totality of truth. And if we're omitting our divine and godly origin, which is the mysterious point of fertilization, and instead erroneously believing our origin to be the artificially created birth date. I'm not saying you can't celebrate the day you were born and have a party. Don't get me wrong. I'm not that big of a party pooper like some people are, but everything you just said is completely right on. We're talking about truth. Truth is the entirety of reality. We can't see all of nature at once. So we can never wrap our minds around our conscious mind around the totality of all that exists at once. Um, And so truth can only be, described and never defined never fully fully defined in one word or phrase or just it just can be described but the best way to describe truth is by describing what it is not the apophatic method and the same goes for knowing yourself enlightenment is a destructive process about removing that which is not you that which is artificial what is artificial personhood what is federal citizenship it's definitely not you it's the the double you that's on paper, the other you. <laughs> I love that. Gabriel, what do you think about all this stuff, man? 
Well, one thing I like to point out, you know, with uh, a lot of people uh, feel the weight of the magnitude of this information, and it can be super heavy. But something I like to point out is, uh, and I often mutilate this phrase, but you can measure a man by the by his enemies, and that mm-hmm. is really something to think about. That we David are, says that. Do I? Is it? Is that yeah, you, David? I've heard you say that before, David. That like I um, great enemies it. mean I'm a great, you're a great hero. Yeah, I've heard you said that yeah. on a slave before. I believe that's that. it. Yeah. Yep, that's it. And so you are really uh, honoring yourself by putting yourself in this arena up against these titans. Mm. You know, we are David. We are going up against Goliath, and all we've got is a sling. You know, and those are the best odds you can ask for. You know, and uh, in this information, this is the sling. This is the stone. This is, uh, you know, these words are all the weapons we need. We could be butt naked in that gladiatorial arena. uh, And we are practicing right now. We're honing our skills with that slingshot to always hit the third eye of the other man, to always aim for that imagination and to even challenge the other person that we're talking to to bring forth their higher self. You know, that is really uh, the way we're going to win this is by sparking the imagination of the people who maybe don't see eye to eye with us. Uh, And that's what we're doing. We're sharpening our swords right now. Iron on iron on iron. Three eyes right here. This is great. This is beautiful. Kung fu, man. I love it. What, David, what's your sun sign again? I'm an Aries. I thought so. We got a triplicity of fire right here. Are we all oh, Aries? Gabe's yeah. a Leo. I'm going to light it up. Yeah. And we got damn good slings and damn good <laughs> stones. We're getting real damn good at throwing those suckers, aren't we? Because look yeah, at the state of the media right now, tripping over themselves. Look, look how many people are watching you right now. Politicians that can't get a sentence right anymore. Their popularity is dropping. More is being exposed. There's so much happening. People are missing out on, on the fact that yeah, this is a horror show. This is a freak show. We live in a galactic insane asylum at the moment. But that's not our destiny. That's the ship of state that was created for you artificially to entrap you. That's not your destiny. You're not a slave. You're not a chattel. You're not a monster. Unless you concede to being that. Unless you choose by an act of your own will to be that and to believe the lie right? In order to believe someone else's lie, you first have to tell yourself a whole series of lies. Isn't that true? So what's the process of getting out of this? Everybody wants solutions to this. How do we bring down the great evil empire? Well, it's coming down on its own. If you haven't noticed, our go- our job is to learn about it. Like you said, I like how you phrase that, Gabriel. We're, we're aiming for that third eye, meaning when you speak to people, speak to the humanity right? Speak to the humanity, try to call the humanity out so that they stop behaving the way they were programmed to behave, which is to behave as a slave, as a robot, as an NPC. That's what these guys want. They want you puppets on strings, but that, that that's not what you are. We have to prove them wrong. Otherwise, you can look around and go, hey, maybe those Georgia Guidestones and those Illuminatis, maybe they got a point. There's too many humans. They're all stupid. They're following the they're living like slaves. They're behaving like animals. They're, they're out there, you know, acting crazy. You know, you, you can start to think like that. But the truth is, 
these people are just self-deceived and they've been led down the garden path and they don't understand the true nature and magnitude of what they really are. And so our job is to communicate information to them to say, here's the nature of the deception that deceived you into thinking you need to go to Bill Gates for medical advice and you need to go to the Pope for religious advice and you need to go to the Knights of Malta for all the other concerns that you have with your health. No, the kingdom of heaven is within. It's neither here nor there. And that's the end of it. So gentlemen, um, I'm going to pass it over. We're right close to the end. We still got a few minutes. Um, maybe I'll go chance closing thoughts, then Gabriel closing thoughts. And after your closing thoughts, leave us with all the locations that people can find your guys' work. And I highly recommend they go and follow up on that. Yeah, man. Uh, there's so much to this. Like, I think we did an amazing job. Uh, I, Gabriel fun. and I talk about this stuff all the time, but in terms of weaving it all into one, almost like introductory, 101 course crash course this feels like a slam dunk i'm so excited to have created this conversation i believe you know pun intended this is the cutting edge of where the research is going for the truth movement in terms of reclaiming sovereignty from the world of paper and getting ourselves back into standing uh, with our creator i don't give a shit about my standing with the the government i'm not going to correct my status or mess with their paperwork I'm going to know my origin, know my source, stand in truth and do what's right. And then, you know, eventually along the way, hopefully no longer need to even be party to their goods and services and create my own or be connected with others who are. Because like you said, it's crumbling and we don't really need to demolish the system. It's all about their, their job is to destroy. Their job is to divide. Our job is to create. So at the end of the day, the more connection that we can can create, the more that we can um, intercept their systems of commerce and trade by our by uh, creating our own routes of trade, our own systems, our own marketplaces, then we win. The whole thing will fall apart. It only lives on your energy and attention and participation, and that'll be that. So, I'm excited about the future. The last thing I didn't really fit in was just on this idea of the divine twin. Um, Taurus, we have Aries, which is like the, the amnion, the, the uh, fertilization point of the sky clock. You know, then you are followed by Taurus. Taurus is the mother who gives birth. Then you get to Gemini, which is the twins. The ruler of Gemini is Mercury and other versions of Mercury, including Hermes and, and all the others. That's the psychopomp, the one who is the divine messenger who connects the realm of the humans to the realm of God or the gods. So like just to finish that point, maybe about why I think what I think about the actual spiritual entity of your other half, that that symbolism can't be accidental and it has many meanings and all the things we talked about today, just because we say this means this or can be interpreted as this, it doesn't all, it doesn't preclude other meanings of the language. Like Gabriel said, hyper sigils is what we're dealing with here. Language is multidimensional, but we've been trapped into the diction of Aries as in the God of war through the framework of uh, how our language has been dumbed down and corrupted. And English is not a slave language. English contains the roots of all the other languages. It's the most powerful language that there ever was because it's the most interconnected. In my opinion, that's how I feel about it. At least maybe most powerful is, not, is too strong a words, but at the very least, it is only a slave language if you have limited your own vocabulary to that 
set of words, phrases, and ideas that only a slave could hold on to. In the, in the times of slavery, the slaveholders would talk amongst themselves. So how do you control the language of your, you can find it in their letters. How do you control the language of your slaves? What, what is your strategy for making sure they only have words for ideas that pertain to their job and their role such that they cannot even imagine a better life for themselves than what they have? And that is the power of language to break ourselves out of the matrix. It is We need to expand our understanding of it, not contract, not fight over what definition is right or what means what. Look at all the possibilities, infinite connections, and see how what is consistent, that's the ring of truth. So that's my closing thoughts. And then I'll kick it over to Gabriel. And then when we talk about our links and where people can find us, if you want to screen share, I can show those direct locations so people have a visual aid there. Right on. Awesome. Gabriel, that was take a great chance. Yeah. So uh, I, I also, I, always, there's always more to say on these topics and so much more depth, but it was so nice to lay this foundation and share it with other people, you know, so these thoughts can build out and expand and, uh, and help the, you know, the next person sharpen their iron. Uh, but uh, there were two points I really wanted to bring forward. I'll just throw them in a, a quick little synopsis. Uh, I remember Chance brought forward that uh, the church committee hearing on your conversation with him the last time you were together. Frank Church. Frank Church. And this, this, there is so much going on in the single image of Frank Church. This headline is immortalized. It's in the records. It always will read this exact way. Frank Church holds aloft the heart attack gun. He's holding that silly little gun with the, it's even got a, like a, a, a sight. It's got a scope on a handgun. Yeah. Like what the, really? Uh, I'm starting to question that whole spell in a major way because, and Chance shared this with you, uh, and there is some other, some more depth to what I believe was a spell. And that is, uh, you know, church means Cersei. Cersei is a goddess of an island, much like Medusa. She's very similar to Medusa. She had charms and potions to change the DNA of men, uh, to turn them into swine or pigs. Uh, so Frank Cersei, that is a Franco-Sabbatean foreigner, using the magic of Cersei, holds aloft the heart attack gun. The word aloft seemed like an interesting word choice to me. And that was what initiated me into looking closer. Uh, the, uh, for one, he meant uh, Chance already revealed this. H-A-G, heart attack gun. That is the hag. That's the H-A-G. That's what Perseus is doing. He's holding up the hag, the head of Medusa. And now I'm looking at the word aloft. Medusa, which whole. paralyzes you just like snake venom. Yes, Medusa is and a... her hair is made of snakes. Yes, she is an echidna. That is her, uh, her Greek uh, terminology for the she-viper is the echidna. And they are telling you that in this heart attack gun, in the hag, are the, uh, the uh, snake venoms, essentially. Echinoderms are the shellfish that they harvest the poison from. They get it from the echidna, the echinoderms. And they, uh, it shoots a little ice cube, and then 
you die within five minutes. But that word aloft, it just seems a little too colorful for me. So I'm looking at it very closely and I've done some of the gematria on it and it is has an identical root, uh, numerical root to the word medusa. They both reduce to a nine, which is a serpent in Hebrew. The, the letter nine uh, in Hebrew is, uh, help me out, Chance, is it Toth? Toth. I think it's Toth is a serpent in Hebrew. Uh, so, uh, to, so what the phrase is really saying. I'm not sure about the he- how the Hebrews pronounced it exactly, but you're correct about that because they did consider the nine to be the serpent. I'll leave it there just to not be too wordy. Yeah, yeah. So what the phrase is really saying is the foreigner, Frank. Oh, it's Teth. That's teth. what it is. That's it. The foreigner, Frank, Cersei, holds Teth or Medusa, the hag. The foreigner, Cersei, holds Medusa, the hag, is the full decode of that phrase. And they were using that reveal, that revelations, they were using that to strike fear into the heart of man. And I'm not saying the heart attack gun isn't real, or I'm not saying one way or the other. I'm saying that there is a very deep uh, primordial spell hidden under the words that they revealed and shared to the public. And that is really powerful and something to think about, that Frank holding that gun was exactly a ritual of Perseus holding up the head of Medusa to turn men to stone, to turn their hearts, to harden their hearts against each other, for that matter, which is uh, just very powerful to consider the, that, the, the value of uh, decoding what is laid out in plain sight. And the other thing I wanted to share was uh, a book that Chance and I uh, have, have uh, learned about recently. I think it was on a, maybe a couple months ago, uh, Mysterious Universe brought together uh, a review on a book that is called Dr. Feelgood. And Dr. Feelgood is a very interesting uh, story about uh, Dr. Maxwell Jacobson uh, back in the 60s was creating a form of methamphetamines that was uh, included placental tissues. And he was selling it to extremely elite and influential personalities. And a quick review is he sold it to the Nazis before he left Germany. And it's very likely that that's what Hitler was uh, stoned out of his mind. Pervitin is what the product was called in Germany at the time. On pervitin, right? And he also was selling it to JFK. And even uh, during the Ten Commandments, it turns out that... uh, that uh, Charlton that Heston Charlton Heston was tripping on what we have come jokingly to call placenta meth, which is disgusting and fascinating all at the same time. But I've got to point out per vat, V-A-T, per vatin. Is that, there's the vat, there's that. And the per. There's that. Percy, yes, it's person. <laughs> yes, there's that initiation, that tavila, the baptism. Now let's go back. And dude's to, name was Jacobson. You know, there's we already talked about Jacob a lot, and you know who are the Maxwells? Anyway, that's right, uh, right. another subject. All right, the Maxwells, their family crest has a porcupine on the center of their family crest is a porcupine on a mutable cross. That is an echinoderm, the echidna 
is their family crest, the Maxwells. So, yeah, and by Jocelyn Maxwell just got put on suicide watch. Did you hear about that? Say again, just Jocelyn Maxwell. She just got put on suicide watch. They they did the same song and dance with Epstein right before he allegedly hung himself on his bed. So Very. everybody's a little concerned that this because her sentencing is coming up, and this yes. might lead us to the client list, which I'll bet you a lot of the people that ran this whole scandemic and the government are on that yep. list, and uh, they're going to try to plug that hole. So this is a truth that's coming to light. I don't know. You just brought up Maxwell, so it triggered me. Nice. That's great. That's great. So here we have per Vatin, we have the Vatica, and I want to go back to the word aloft. Write out the word aloft and try to read it in reverse. And you're going to find yourself, Tavila, you've been baptized. Aloft in reverse is a phonetic palindrome for the word Tavila. And he has change. Yes. When you get into philology, V's and F's switch out. So when he was holding aloft the, the hag, he was baptizing the masses in the revelation of the method. So I just wanted to make all those connections going all the way through and through, through the Jesuits and uh, rooting down into the catacombs of the Vat, Vatican and Vatica, the old dark goddess uh, that they've laid claim to on that territory and that land. So there it is. That's a nutshell of all the hanging chads that I wanted to share. Yeah, that's underworld. Mind you get to his channel, you'll get the full blast when he empties his cup. It is uh, really something. <laughs> well, that's awesome. Well, Chance, you had a, you were going to show the links of where everybody can find stuff here. Yeah, go ahead and we can pull up my screen. This is my website, interversepodcast.com. Uh, my logo does not mean I'm in the Illuminati. We'll just just going to tell you right now. <laughs> I just made the coolest logo I could a long time ago and I just have stuck with it. But right. So this is where you find all my content, um, do weekly episodes. Pretty recently we had David on really amazing exploration of the things that he's gotten into on cult of the medics worth your time. Uh, if you love to follow David, but all kinds of self-empowering uh, stuff going on here on my weekly show vibrant the live one i do wednesday nights at 8 p.m would love to see some people join on my youtube channel or my rockfin wednesdays at 8 p.m is when we do it or turn on notifications on youtube if you want to catch me there it's the same name there interverse podcast on youtube and if you like me and gabe together that's where we uh collaborate every week if not more often uh, there's more things we do too but to be brief i'll just leave it at that and this is also where you can find the Marvelous Demystifier show on my YouTube or my Rockfin or my RSS feeds. Uh, and from my website, all the links to all the places will be there. And people can also get a hold of me for one-on-one sound healing sessions. Uh, I do tuning using tuning forks. Biofield tuning is another way of describing it. Amazingly effective modality for balancing uh, stuck energy in your field. Can't go into it too deeply, but would be awesome in terms of a conversation about solutions to talk about someday, David, on maybe on Truth Warrior. Uh, I also practice I Ching and uh, tarot readings for people that help them tap into their inner knowing about what's right and best for them and their path going forward and uh, an empowering way. And you can catch me narrating the book July's End by Dylan Sicosio, uh as an audio book. If you go to the shop tab, you'll find a link to it. 
And that is a deep dive into a lot of the symbolism we've explored today and the syncretism of astrotheology of all the different religions and cults and mythologies of the world to demonstrate that it came from a similar tradition. And then Gabriel's YouTube is Slick Dissident. And just, just like it's spelled here, Slick Dissident, search that on YouTube. And, uh, you know, I would, if you really want the full thing, I would go back far and start from an early point. If you're going to get, I mean, you can join in at any point, but his work really amazingly builds upon itself. And, uh, he's constantly revising and updating his ideas, but he does it one video at a time. So like just going back to four months ago, if you're curious about more of this Medusa and Perseus stuff, you can find a series where he starts getting into that. And then the, the Perseus myth that he decodes from, from the beginning in a four or five episode series. And I just really recommend his work. Uh, dude has a different kind of brain. <laughs> Symbolic literacy off the charts. And it's fun to go on, on the mental ride with Gabriel anytime, wherever he wants to take it. Yeah, man. That's awesome. Thank That's you, Chance. Awesome. Thank you so yeah. much. Well, thanks to both of you. That was a f- really fun, enlightening conversation. I learned so much. Lots to think about. I hope everybody loved it. Um, keep following up on the stuff we've been talking about guys and go and even do a better job than we did. We got to keep collaborating with all of you and trying to get to the truth, figure out where all these things lead and bring some real solutions that are going to help people on an individual level. Cause I think that's what we need now more than ever. We have to become healers as well as warriors for truth in this world. And so stay tuned here. I've got a really fun firecast episode that I'm going to be putting out on Wednesday. Haven't decided if I'm going to live stream it or not. I'll see how my schedule works, but um, did a really, really good uh, discussion with a couple of friends of mine. Uh, you're going to love it. So stay tuned for that. I'll have more announcements. Follow me on my Telegram channel. That'll be where I update everybody on uh, all these different things that I'm up to. And then, of course, go over to cultofthemedics.com. Catch up on those chapters. I'm hard at work on chapter eight, as I said. Stay tuned for that. I know many have been waiting patiently. Uh, it'll be ready when it's ready. And it's going to be a killer. So stay tuned for that. So thank you, everybody. Thanks to you, gentlemen. And let's do this again sometime. Have a good one, everybody. Cheers.